All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, hanging out with Nick Mookie across from me and Gary Colbath. We were just discussing like a cold bath, but or <laughs> cold beer, like a cold beer. Right, right. No, no D in there, but other than that, and uh, and this is the first time I've met Gary, and uh, so it'll be it'll be fun getting to know him. Yeah, the only thing I knew and figured, like, yeah, I've got probably ought to have him on. Is Nick told told me you were a murdering fool? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, we got to um, get this guy. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of long time listener, first time caller on, uh, <laughs> on Tundra Talk. So uh, you so. you aren't the first, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Gary, uh, why don't you tell tell me a little bit about yourself? You know, what's your background? Obviously, you're living up here now. Yeah, living up here. Um, born and raised in Western South Dakota, Rapid City area, and uh, spent a lot of time down there. Got uh, got a love for archery hunting in in high school. My uh, my dad was a bird hunter, but didn't really have anybody in the family that uh, that big game hunted too much. And uh, met a friend in high school whose dad had out of their garage the only little archery shop in town, and they kind of got me hooked up uh, uh, with a bow. And even though it took me three years to kill anything, the first time I was out and within you know ten feet of a big game animal that. Uh, that got away i was hooked i mean it was uh, the the chase was on and i've been chasing stuff with my bow ever since i gun hunt some and bird hunt some do uh, hunt whenever i can some um, <laughs> oh so you're just a hunter <laughs> uh yeah yeah as, as one of our one of our friends we were discussing earlier would would i suppose uh classify me i'm i'm just a hunter but every, every chance every chance i get in the field uh if if it's by my my choice and the opportunity is right. I, uh, it's with a, it's with a stick and a string and, and I bow hunt. So down there you can hunt, uh, boy, I spent a lot of time chasing whitetails and chasing mule deer and, um, elk tags were a little harder to draw, but I, I, I expanded out a little bit in the West, chased some elk, shot a bunch of turkeys. Um, and, uh, as I got older and, and, and could afford it a little bit, I think my first trip to Alaska, was uh, me and a friend came in 2000 no in 1999 me and two friends came on a caribou hunt flew out to dillingham on a do-it-yourself hunt and uh and uh i shot two caribou 10 minutes apart on, oh, on, day, nice. on day four with <laughs> i shot one with my bow and uh three bulls i snuck up in a rainstorm they were bedded down just hunkered in and and i shot one and the other two got up and ran away and when their buddy didn't follow them they they made a big circle and they ran right back by and stopped about 20 feet from me looking at uh looking at their dead buddy and i, I couldn't resist not having them yeah. to alaska so I, sh <laughs> I shot another one and then realized i was three miles from camp with two dead, oh. car <laughs> two dead caribou but so that was 99. I came back in, in 2004. Uh, it was my first trip to POW with a friend, and uh, we shot, uh, shot a couple blacktails up in, the, up in the Alpine. That was great. Um, There's a lot of podcasters that love going to POW, I guess. Great yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe we'll talk about it. I just came from there. Uh, I was just there 10 days ago, too, now that I live here. But then uh, I came back a couple more times, and uh, um, by career... Uh, I work for the federal court system, and that's what I, uh, for the last maybe 15 years, that's what I was doing in, in South Dakota. But um, I met uh, met the the equivalent of my boss in South Dakota. I, I met the equivalent of that in the in the Alaska court system up here a couple of years ago. And I had told my wife, you know, my dream was always to retire in Alaska. I couldn't find anybody that would pay me to hunt for a living, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had to keep the day job. 
and uh, and so I'd always just resign myself to the fact that uh, I'd have to save money and every three or four years make a trip up here to hunt and uh, and then retire here so I could maybe do the big dollar hunts as a resident and uh, long story short a, a couple of July's ago I had uh, called the uh, called called the office up here and told them if they ever had an opening in the in the system there was only a few positions uh statewide five positions in the whole state but uh, if they ever had an opening please keep me in mind and i i never really thought it would ever come to fruition and i got a call out of a blue they had a lady retire for medical reasons unexpectedly and and uh, the, all the stars aligned i had just sold i was downsizing houses um kids were my youngest daughter had just graduated and was leaving the house. We were we were in a transition period, and I got a job offer in Alaska. And I told my wife, "It's it's now or never." Pack I mean, your bags, no, honey. I, well, I actually told her. I did told her she didn't have to pack. She she could stay if she wanted, but she knew I was going, and she uh, she packed the bags. <laughs> she, it took a little while for I had a Canadian hunt planned, and so it worked out really good. I I gave the two weeks notice down there. I packed a little trailer. I drove to British Columbia and uh parked the trailer in the outfitter's driveway for three weeks and went sheep hunting and caribou hunting and um when i got done there i just kept going looked at the map and it was about 18 hours over here and i rolled into anchorage on a sunday night and sat in the walmart parking lot and looked on craigslist to find an apartment to live nice. in <laughs> and started work at eight thirty the next morning oh man that's and, cool uh, dedication and, right there yeah well i you know and and everyone asked me well you know geez was the job transferred that really that good and i said no it was the exact same job that i had in in south dakota the yeah. hunting is that good yeah. I, I came for one reason and one reason only and that's uh i have this probably goal that i'll never uh never oh, you never will. achieve but it's certainly one i'm going to chase to try and kill you know the north american 29 with my bow and boy looking at the map and looking at the at the hunting regs it looked like alaska had about half the animals i needed that's right up here and so you can uh, almost get a super 10 up here you can uh, you know right, if I you had you... if you had mountain lions you could yeah you need an antelope too but oh yeah i guess it's true. nonetheless aside from that uh you could do it eight out of ten that's right yeah yeah, and so. I mean, heck, you can get another five or six plus that too. So right, um, we're pretty fortunate up here. If that's if that's someone's goal, and you just explained how you did it, you moved up here not on a whim, a calculated whim, uh, just for the hunting, and you and you found a, a job to I guess support that hobby. Yeah, man, oh man. Well, <laughs> the and, opportunity, and is you know, even even without even without that goal, I just. I had an appreciation because of how much I hunt. I had some appreciation for it, um, even when I lived uh, down in the lower 48. But now that I'm here, there's just so much more appreciation. I, I think you guys were just saying uh, in one of the, I don't, I'm not sure which episode I was listening to because I sort of listened to him out of order because I, I was binge listening and going going by topic rather than number but Frank said commented on one of the one of the podcasts he's like you know if you really want to you can hunt every month of the year up here oh yeah I mean you can and not just you know you have to go shoot a squirrel with your bow or something or, or you have to right. you know go shoot some small game you can big game hunt every month of the year yeah. and probably three-fourths of those months you can hunt more than one species of big game yeah um, heck a lot of the hunts we go on we can hunt more than one species pretty much every time we go out oh that the yeah, opportunity to yeah that's that. that's the other thing is is um other than a few limited seasons 
Yeah, most of your most of your hunts are multi-species hunts too. Right. Unless you choose to, I'm going to folk, you know, I'm going to sheep hunt and I'm not going to look at that 400 inch caribou <laughs> bowl across the basin. Because and you can't, if you want to kill a sheep, you can't do it. Is no. <laughs> but you know, if you're backpacking it yourself, you can't do it. I've passed up, yeah, seen yeah. some huge bulls sheep hunting over the years. Yeah, sure. Well, and how but many? You didn't, you didn't grow up too far west from me. I grew up in Wisconsin and coming to Alaska, you know, from not necessarily directly from Wisconsin, but it's night and day, the opportunity that's available to you. It's absolutely mind-boggling, the difference in, uh, I guess, the variety of species and then also the different styles of hunting. There's just, you can do everything you wanted up here. Well, it's, I mean, even just myself, like we were, like when you and me and John were talking, oh, I'll get started. I totally forgot. I already killed a goat. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, in this March or whatever, and yeah. then now we're now we're getting in, into the, which the prime is, of which spring is, bear. Spring bear is usually the first, you know, go for the year. But yeah, you can do the the muskox in March, and then you can do goat up until March too. So you can have uh, a pretty good year if you just plan, you know, maybe a hunt every other month or every month a little bit. Uh, I guess it all comes down to priorities, though. A lot of people don't have the vacation time or yeah. or are willing to spend their vacation time on strictly hunting. Yeah. Now, I would ask you this. Have you had very many people say, oh, you're so lucky? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it seems like every picture I post, uh, the first comments uh that i get from from friends and family back home yeah in the lower 48 is either uh oh you're living the dream or oh yeah you're so lucky to be able to have that out your back damn right out out your back back door (laughs) it's always oh look at that's right out your back door and you know i'm posing with a a black bear that i had to travel to pow (laughs) which is no no short trek right and then well and then i had a two-hour ocean boat ride and then i and then we had another boat ride from there and then we (laughs) Yeah. And we had a mile hike. Guys, and, you're you know, not it's you're out not, my back door. To get the PO, POW, it's not. Don't you have down to fly to Seattle and then back, or do well, they we, have flights out of Juneau? When I came here, or my first hunt in Alaska was in, on POW for de- uh, deer. And I had Prince of fly, Wales, Prince Island. of Wales, yeah. yeah. And uh, I flew from here to, I think, Juneau and then Ketchikan and then oh, took gotcha. the ferry across. But, on, the, on the way down, I took what they call the one of the one of the people in my office. She she covers the southeast and so she goes run. to juno yeah <laughs> so on my way down i took the milk run yeah. so yeah. so i was on the plane the commer- the alaska airline plane for five hours and made five stops and i ended up in ketchikan then on the way back we i was fortunate enough to both me and the, the other guy i was hunting with we, sh- we shot bears uh earlier in the trip than we had planned or, or at least than the days we had allotted so we spent the day and brought back some shrimp and and then tried to get out of there a day early. And so to get home, I had to fly from Ketchikan to Seattle. Oh, back to no Anchorage. way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it right. was it was quicker. It was, uh, we got back into Ketchikan about 8 o'clock. And the lady said, no, I've, I'm, I'm still in my hunting gear. I've got a, you know, a bear that I <laughs> might want to get sealed. And uh, just logistics. And I'm standing on the float plane dock. And she says, there's a plane that leaves at 9.06 that'll go to Anchorage. Otherwise, the next the next plane that you can catch is 906 tomorrow morning oh wow and i said there's got to be a way i'm in alaska it's alaska airlines there's got to be a way you can get me to anchorage um today it's only eight in the morning i said i i, I just don't buy it there's got to be something <laughs> yeah. we can, there's something we can do and uh she transferred me to somebody else and that lady looked and then she had to she said uh 
she had to call me back in a minute and she called me back 10 minutes later and she said you can leave at one o'clock and fly to seattle and wait in Seattle till 5.30, and you'll be in Anchorage at 8 tonight. Yeah. And I well, said, if, you're, if you're in King Salmon, slide a can of Copenhagen across the counter. <laughs> does this change your mind? Yeah. I said... Uh, it's even harder down there. It is, yeah, actually. And, and you, you miss know, your flight at anywhere on the peninsula. You miss yeah. your flight home. Oh. Like, you're not getting on a flight until somebody else misses their flight, and you're able to take their spot. When I was in wow. Cold Bay, uh, I had luckily booked a return flight and usually i don't book a return flight i book a one way and then i figure it out after the hunt you know and walk up to the counter like you were saying and find my flight home but if you anybody listening or any of you guys ever go to the peninsula to hunt book do the best you can to book a return flight like, and don't expect all your bags yeah, to get there that's the other thing pack <laughs> win <every>, air <laughs> pack everything you can in your gun case and you because your gun case has to fly with you or your your bow case has to fly with you and uh pack as much of stuff in there as you can but we had a guy we were down there brown bear hunting and a friend of mine guides down there and he he had a client that uh, got a sat phone call from his wife while he was hunting and and he was from spain or france spain or france one or the other and his wife said that he had din- a dinner date like in two days or something and he had to come home from his hunt so oh. this was like day two of his brown bear hunt so anyhow, he didn't kill a bear but he flew out uh, got back to Cold Bay, and he was in the airport every morning waiting for a flight, and we left eight days later, and he was still waiting there. So he could have hunted the entire time. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, all for it. Must have been some kind of dinner it date. Must have been a good one. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but definitely book a return flight if you're going out yeah. there. Yeah, well, my, my flight, <laughs> even through even through Seattle, my flight back to Anchorage was, I think, in, in the hour-wise, quicker than, quicker than the milk run. So. Yeah. You know, and it got me home. It's it's all, but that's you know that's a typical. Uh, a lot of people, I t- I've told a couple of people that story, and they're like, "Oh, that would be so frustrating." Yeah. Would, did you hate that? And I said, Go with "You the know, flow. that's that's Alaska, yeah. and that's 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 that is the smallest in my mind, the it's, smallest price to pay for the adventure right. that I had." It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. you killed you killed a heck of a nice black bear down there. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I was so I was fortunate that uh, that I I chose to take the opportunity to stalk two different bears and you know both of them were in that uh in that six and a half to seven foot range in that typical southeast bear and maybe not typical but that that kind of class of bears that i think prince of wales is known for that you can find there that uh, big blocky head on them and and uh, weren't you saying that skull was like almost 21 or was 21 yeah uh i think it's right around 20 and 11 sixteenths that's a great bear so yeah. yeah and he's and he's right at seven foot um and it's he's kind of it's an interesting looking bear uh he's He's so evenly rubbed that all the long black hair, all, all the long black hair is off him, and he's got that short hair. I oh that I, brown under matting, that brown under matting. And I spent a lot of time in South Dakota. I've shot three buffalo with my bull with my bow, and and I've spent uh, both with bulls and cows. I just some time around. I had a buffalo meat business at one point in my life, <laughs> a, a snapshot in my life, and and uh, so I've seen a lot of buffalo. And that's the first thing it reminded me of is that under hair on a buffalo but real brown but yeah he looks real brown and it's real kind of that coarse thick hair and he's so evenly rubbed that he kind of looks like a chocolate flavor yeah yeah i thought i thought when you showed me the photo i thought for sure right like just way the sun was hitting the the phone i thought man you went down there and shot yourself a brown bear but of course not on pow but yeah that's interesting because i i did get my bear flashed from the other night and squares right it's like seven foot and half an inch 
or what you know great bear. it's always yeah right around a seven footer so and 19 and skull i rough measured the skull 19 and a quarter which yeah. is a huge you know huge black bear for around here yep. but just it's it amazing is. the difference in skulls down there yeah and the one interesting thing with mine was he was rubbed on his fork kind of around his all the whole forehead top of his head and the front of his nose and everything and i'd never seen that in the interior really that's but, the first but for me. i've seen it it seems like Every very variety. common in yeah. southeast. And I, I don't know, have you ever heard? Yep, that's the, man, that's a big head on that thing. Yeah, so, I'm, yeah, that picture of my bear, it, that's one of the first things I noticed when I walked up to him is he had flopped over kind of in a little uh, root ball of a tree. And so his head was down and I, yeah. I grabbed him by the ear and started, I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty heavy. And when I flipped him around, I looked at that forehead and I hadn't really focused on it at all during the stock, but, uh, I looked at that forehead and I'm like, well, look at that rub spot. You, well, know, I, pretty you, typical. you see it all the time. And yeah. I, I guess I got to do some more research. I've never heard like a legit explanation for why. And even the brown bears down there seem to rub like that. Okay. You know, so I've never heard a real, like, legitimate explanation for what they're doing to cause that. Because you just, you just hardly ever see it up here. And it's a different rub than even what mine had. Yeah, I've seen some of the bears killed down there real early in the season that don't have it. But, heck, even by the second week of May, it seems every photo you see of somebody has that. It's like they're they're it. digging. I don't know if it's from pushing their head under rocks or... I mean, I, I, yeah. it's all speculation on yeah, my part. Yeah, I mean, I shot that bear on the 10th of May, and he's got, completely. got a yeah, complete uh, V triangle on his head, yep. you know, rubbed down to the nub. Matter of fact, he uh, he must have been in a couple scrapes. He had right above uh, right above his right eye, he had a pretty good puncture wound. Yeah, I mean, and then a couple other scars, but that's not what caused that rub. He, no, he'd no. been... He'd been rubbing on something yeah. for sure. For, I mean, size of his skull and body, he's probably a pretty old bear. He's seen yeah. a couple of fights along yeah, the way. Yeah, his yeah. Te- his <laughs> teeth were his teeth were worn um, substantially. The guy I was with, uh, the there was I had a friend, and then there was one other guy hunting, and he had shot a bear the night before, and he shot a bear uh, that was more of a middle linebacker type bear, you know, Blocky. not yeah, the front shoulders on him, and the front end of that bear, which was about a six six to six eight bear um the front end the front quarters were bigger than either the front or hind quarters on my bear oh wow um and the skull had turned out to be right at about 19 and a quarter about like yours yeah. Tyler, about 19 and a quarter but you set those two skulls down next to each other once they were skinned out and it it looked like a sow and a cub. I mean, if you could have told yeah. somebody it was a sow and a cub, and that's what they looked like. Wow. That's Just amazing to the me. The teeth and putting putting skulls next to each other that are only an inch. You know the way you score them different, and and they have that distinct uh, difference in them. And you, it's it's kind of weird. Well, it's only kind, an inch. It's kind of like you know. I mean that that big the first big grizzly bear I shot with my bow was twenty five and two. It's just an right. enormous bear. And then the bear I killed the next year was a sow, and she was 23 and a which is still and two, big. I think, yeah. which is still, I mean, I think she, because I, I submitted them, I killed them both during the same recording period, and she was like one bear off of being, having to send both bears down to the yeah, yeah. convention. But size just wise. the, but the skull height, like the height of her skull is way, you know, 
that boar skull is just enormous, tall and long and wide. And she's long and wide, but she's not, not tall. tall. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it really is. It's like comparing. It's it, it, it's it's almost like setting a, a a European mule deer rack next to a European whitetail rack, and you just, they don't even look comparable. Yeah. And and yeah. they're not that far. Like you said, no. they're they're an, an inch, inch difference, and it's everything about that smaller, but that nineteen inch skull was different. The the jaw structure was just smaller the the teeth the for yeah. sure the the canines were all smaller younger I mean, bear and they grow them bigger yeah yeah you could there. tell it wasn't you know nothing it wasn't as tall it wasn't as thick it yeah. was just amazing yet measurement wise you know it's like an inch and a half difference <laughs> well in that uh in that this bear i just killed like i noticed right off the bat and i haven't spent much time looking at the teeth or anything but the canines are like perfect they're they're perfect and they're kind of they're not as heavy because I like long and skinny almost. long and skinny you know you think that's a young bear but you know Nick was and we just kind of looked over the teeth it looked like oh the molars were all wore down almost to the gum line so yeah. and his mm. canines were in really good shape but I don't believe it to be a young bear at all I just don't think the interior grows a bear like that in four or five years I mean he's probably six eight somewhere or more. I would, yeah, well, I would I mean, think I'd, for sure. I mean, I squared him at seven. No, I meant age wise. Oh, age. I don't yeah. think the. I don't think you're going to yeah. get that uh, size or skull size on a bear here in the interior, young. Whereas on Prince of Wales, a four or five year old boar is going to be a pope and young. Yeah, bear. I mean, it ended up, and I can't remember if we if we talked about it on the drive back, but if I was in the passing mood, I wouldn't have shot that bear. I know we mentioned we thought he was a lot smaller walk up and it's the second biggest black bear I've ever killed and I mean the biggest with a bow and the biggest one I've killed in 16 years yeah I still mm. can't figure out why we why we thought that yeah. <laughs> well you guys it's just keep keep hunting bears and you'll get better at that yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll keep after it. you haven't looked at enough bears apparently <laughs> yeah <probably>. apparently <laughs> but uh, I need some need some need a refresher apparently but, so uh, Tyler you you probably don't know this and I hate to put Gary on the spot but Gary's, no, do it. Gary's one of the <laughs> luckiest people um, that I've lucky in terms of uh, uh, winning stuff so uh, he he went stone sheep hunting last year basically uh i, w- I would say darn near for free Pretty um, close. and he's also got a mountain caribou hunt uh for free i would i think that w- i think the yeah and yeah. and you won all these through grand slam club ovis on on raffles yeah and <laughs> how about you i i i think that everybody would like to hear just oh, how absolutely. lucky <laughs> this this worked out for you you say that you know and 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 anybody who finds out tells me that that i'm the luckiest guy and i am i'm, I'm maybe I'm, i need to go back and, <laughs> no, and edit I, that I, no i'm not i'm not saying i'm not saying I'm lucky eternally. in a bad sense yeah, i think no, that yeah. you've, you've had I am. some super I'm, I'm eternal, good things I'm, happen i'm eternally blessed and it's great and i'll tell you it's I'm one of those guys who kind of, up until recent years, had always been, you know, the guy who, I never won anything. I can't draw right. a tag in the lower 48 to save my life. When I do, it's my <laughs> third choice doe tag, not or cow tag, not the bull tag. And, you know, uh, but I have been fortunate. But I will, I will say that because of the goals that I have and because of the priorities that I have, that yeah. I want to hunt a lot of species. I want to hunt a lot of places. I want to do a lot of things if I can, and I don't have a lot of money. You set yourself up to be lucky. But is, that's is, right. What You know, if I can apply in places that don't cost me too much, I apply. I never pass up the chance to throw. I, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't gamble other than 
I won't pass up the chance at a. <laughs> yeah. I won't pass up at the chance at a twenty dollar raffle, uh, raffle ticket. If somebody sell, if the Boy Scouts are selling for a gun <laughs> raffle, I'm buying. If if the bow <laughs> if the bow shop selling a bow raffle, I'm buying. Well, several years ago, um, you know, it was not too many years after I sort of got it this this goal of the Super Slam in my head. Um, Grand Slam Club Obus started their Super Slam program. And that's, I was never at the time, sheep hunting was sort of the, those were the last four animals I was ever going to hunt. And those were, <laughs> those were way out of my price rack uh, range and whatever. But so I wasn't a sheep guy and I didn't know much about Grand Slam Club Obus, but I think I may have saw Tom Miranda sure. commercial or I saw something about it, but the Super Slam program. Now that interests me because those guys were showing pictures of deer and an elk and an antelope and a, I could do a mountain lion hunt and Heck, I had I killed a, a buffalo with my bow. I thought, hey, you know, I could do this. I'd been up here and killed a caribou. I had a few different species, and so I got interested in that. And six or seven years ago, they started a a hunt drawing program where yeah. bas- basically you you know they draw two times a two times a month, so twenty four times a year for uh, for a, uh, a fully guided hunt, and half the hunts are sheep. Yeah. So there's 12 sheep hunts, and then the other ones are all one of the super slam animals. You know, whether it's a whether goat it's a, mo- or a moose or whatever, mountain lion sure. or a polar bear or a yeah. goat, or it's always something great. And what I really like about it is it's the whole ball of wax. Other than other than the travel costs and the tag, um, it's the, a fully outfitted hunt. And so I thought, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna uh, buy a raffle ticket, I I looked at the odds, and the odds are frankly higher. Like the odds are higher than that than I'll ever draw. Say, say, a, say an Arizona Strip <clears throat> mule deer tag. Sure. Or, um, yeah, one of our, a premium, you know, a desert sheep tag in in New Mexico or uh, a California bighorn tag. My odds are better, and I got twenty. And it happens twenty four times a year. I don't get to check my computer once a year yeah, yeah. Uh, in a state draw. So I so <laughs> yeah. I joined and the, compete I, against bonus point right, holders, right. and I, preference. You know, I joined that stuff. thing six or seven years ago, and then in addition to those twenty four hunts, they have like the wild sheep and like a bunch of other places. They have the uh, they have the uh, national convention once a year in either Reno or Vegas, and and they always have a couple bonus drawings for the Super Slam people or the the super slam raffle um and you have to be present to win so back in 2015 i guess it was 2014 was the first convention i went to and it was fun and it was neat so i decided well one trade show a year i'll go to and and that was cool so i went because you go to wild sheep in 2014 um or is that where you did that at or uh, not no I, I went the next year i ended up they were back to back and so okay. i stayed but so it was 20 i went there in 2014 and then in 2015 i went back and they were having three bonus drawings Two of them were hunts, and then for that year, they did a special deal of the grand prize for the Saturday night banquet was $50,000 in hunt credits towards an, any outfitted, any combination of or single outfitted hunt. You wanted to go on with one of their one of their outfitters. And you it's had already be, making me sick. <laughs> you, you had to be, yeah, it gets worse. You had to be present to win, and so I, uh, I went and... I knew from the year before that there was between six and seven hundred people at the at the banquet on Saturday night, and I thought, well, that's. But not all of those people are probably in the Super Slam drawing. Yeah. So that you know, I figure if even if uh, two thirds of them are are in there, that's only four hundred people. That's pretty good odds. And they're give. I think that that <laughs> night they gave away a coos deer hunt, a polar bear hunt, and this Man. fifty thousand dollars. And so I'm thinking. Whew, I'd be I'd be thrilled with any of those. That'd be great. So uh, 
came to, they do the whole banquet and it's like anything else the grand prize comes last so they did the awards and they did the speeches and they did the other raffles and they give away the coos deer and it's not me and they give away the polar bear and it's not me and they uh, get up there and the, the at the time the director Dennis Campbell he had his little 10 year old granddaughter up there and she spun the drum and she pulled out a name and he said oh I, you know this guy is uh, one of our longtime exhibitors he's been a been a supporter of grand slam for years and uh this is great and you're thinking our, oh and so i thought uh, and i looked at my wife and i said let's go you know it's time to go this is the last thing of the deal and he said uh you know i won't say the guy's name because if this ever got back to me he's already mad at me but it, <laughs> <laughs> he, he read the guy's name and he said this is an outfitter from alberta so and so are you are you here where are you where are you i'm sure you're here and somebody from the crowd yelled out it's his daughter's birthday. They went to the UFC fights tonight. Ooh. <laughs> and and the crowd sort of murmured, and somebody yelled out, redraw, because you got to be present to win. Yeah. So they said, well, somebody text him and tell him he just missed a chance to win $50,000. And they put the name down, and he looked at his granddaughter and said, well, honey, pick another name. And he drew a name, and he pulled it out, and he said, well... I believe I, I saw this gentleman at the at the convention a couple of days ago, and I had introduced myself to him. He said, our winner's from South Dakota. Well, I knew. <laughs> I looked at my wife, but I don't know if you've ever heard of the, he's a kind of a, a pretty famous uh, uh, hunting artist, a guy named Josh Spies. Oh, Josh, yeah. Josh yeah, Spies. I've met him. He's, he's okay. yeah. Well, he's a South Dakota guy. And that year, Josh happened to have been getting his award for he had shot a desert sheep that year, and that completed his Grand Slam. And he also did uh, a painting for him, an original painting for him, that a big, nice painting that had got auctioned off that year. So he brought a contingent of friends and family, and they had a table there, and they weren't sitting very far from me, and... Uh, they'd been there all all weekend, and there, so there's ten people at his ta- him and nine other people all from South Dakota at that table, and I looked at my wife and I said, "I'll bet you it's that Josh Bice. He's so lucky, <laughs> <laughs> and and because uh, he does all kinds of great things in the outdoors, and and uh, and and Dennis, the director, he says, "Yeah, South Dakota. He's from Rapid City, South Dakota," and about that time, my wife stood up. Because she knew we were the only ones yeah. in the room from South Dakota, and he he announced my name, and both her and I let out a war cry, and and uh, yeah, I walked up and uh, and you know they give me a picture and a check for fifty thousand dollars, a you know a cardboard check, yeah. <laughs> but but later later told me you got fifty thousand dollars in hunt credits to uh, do what you want to do do what oh, you want. So man. so long story short, that's how and and when i say the stars align that's that's why i think you know the stars really do align because i so what i did was i booked a multi-species hunt for stone sheep mountain goat mountain caribou moose and grizzly bear those were the five tags i'd have 21 days i had a packer a cook and a guide um in northern bc and it, that ain't hunting. Talk about, talk about <laughs> and so, 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 yeah. I mean, you know what a guy's dream. If nothing else good happened to me for the rest of my life, that was good, that was cool. And so I planned that um, in 2015 for the fall of 2016. Had it, I was leaving in South Dakota in the middle of August, and because of all the animals I was gonna have, uh, I was gonna shoot, and because of the logistics of everything it was only about a two-day drive from south dakota so i just i had decided i was going to drive up so that i could 
transport stuff back and, and bring not, your reefer van <laughs> full yeah, of meat right. back home. That's right. Well, as it turned out, it turned out uh, that I did take a chest <laughs> freezer because fast forward to July of, of 2016, uh, the, the hunt's been planned for over a year. All the, all the planning's done. The logistics are ready. It was then a month before I left for the trip that I got the phone call about the job, oh, yeah. about the job in Alaska. And so I said, you know, they wanted me to come August 1st. And I told the boss here, I said, you know, I want to take your job, but I got to explain this to you. I said, I'm leaving South Dakota on August 9th to be in British Columbia on August 11th to go on a 21 day hunt. And it's been two years in the planning. I said, so you don't want me to come to work and be there for a week and take 20, yeah. 25 days off. I said, so I tell you, I've got to be able to come September 1st or September. It was actually the Monday after the Tuesday after Labor Day. I said, I've got to be able to come September 5th, not August 1st. And if I can't do that, I'm going to have to pass on the job <laughs> Yeah, because, because the, the hunt's more important to me. Yeah. And he said, really? And the way he said it, I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, well, let me, uh, let me put you on hold for a minute. And I think uh, I learned later that he put me on hold and talked to two of the other people in the office to make sure they could cover the month for him. Yeah. And they said, of course, that they could. And he got me back on the phone and he said, good, good. well, you better be on time September 5th. <laughs> ha have, a, have a good hunt. And I hung up the phone and realized how, that I had worked up a sweat during that conversation and, and thought, I, I thought, well, my hunt's got to be good. If there's anybody, anybody who's going <laughs> yeah. under, to understand a good hunt, it's got to be a guy from Alaska. I learned later that the boss doesn't hunt. He's a fisherman, but uh, yeah, it worked out yeah. good. So he's got a passion. He yeah, sure, yeah. sure. He under he he liked my commitment, and so so uh, it changed my planning for the hunt a little bit. I had to uh, not only drive the pickup, but I I stuffed almost all the hunting gear I owned, a couple a couple of suits to wear to work, and uh, an extra pair of shoes in a fourteen by eight trailer, and hooked it on the back. Put a chest freezer and a couple of Archie targets in the bed of the truck, and drove to British Columbia, and then got done with the hunt and uh, just kept driving. What? How? How did you do on the hunt? Um, on day three, I shot a nine and three quarter inch billy, a really nice billy, uh, oh, just yeah, an awesome mountain goat. Um, I on that hunt. Um, weather got us and so we could only act we could hunt about 15 of the 21 days and i think i could have i sure could have stalked a billy every one of those days we were just yeah. it, for some reason the goats were thick that year and we were right in them but i i shot uh i shot that and then we were struggling finding sheep at the camp that we were at um i put a stock on two nice caribou like day five or six we had only seen a couple of ewes and lambs and so the guide said on day 11 day 10 which was halfway through the hunt he said if we don't see a ram today um or get get on something we're gonna we're gonna we've got a camp that's an eight hour ride away and we're gonna switch camps and that night just before bed a ram showed up on a on a distant ridge and he was one of those rams where we looked and Two of us would call full curl, yeah. and, then, and then the guide would say, no, no, no. And then he'd, he'd switch positions, and this, he'd get out of a shadow and into just a little bit of sun, and the guide would say, no, you're right, it's full curl. And the other, and the, and the packer would say, oh, but look at, no, no, he's yeah. seven eight. <laughs> well, look, you know, we How knew. far is this from? Uh, 
mile and a half. Yeah, yeah, that it's and tough. so and so what we knew was he was the first ram we saw and he needed a closer look. So the next day, if I fast forward, by noon the next day we had relocated him. The guy the guy and I had slipped down and we were studying the heck out of him at about 180 yards. So he was real close. And I, he was right at the edge of the timber, right below. We had saw him up on a uh, up on an open ridge where there turned out to be a group of 15 ewes and lambs. And he was, um, we bumped into them and had never seen them before. Bumped into them looking for him. And then we located him right at Timberline. And uh, he was just standing, staring down in the timber, pretty focused. And we saw him at about oh six seven hundred yards away and it allowed us his focus on the timber we thought he must have had another sheep with him and uh, his focus down in the timber allowed us to slip rock to rock you know bush to bush and we got to 180 yards and it was to the point where the cover was sparse enough that it, from there down if the guide told me it was a go he was going to let me close the distance by, yeah. by myself and as we were studying him um all of a sudden, he took off running sort of to our right, up the hill, sort of angled towards us right along the timber line, just like you lit him on fire. Yeah. And he made it about 100 yards, and out of the trees came two jet black wolves. Oh, man. And that sheep's probably still running. I saw him. He topped, <laughs> he topped like the third ridge about two miles away when we, when we lost him in the spotting scope, and he was still running Jeez. full tilt. And... Uh, so once he was gone and out of the country, the guide, the guide said, you know, I, I don't think I would have let you stalk him. He might have been legal, but it was too close to call. I, don't, I wouldn't have let you shoot him. And I said, well, I don't know whether they told me that to make me feel better. Or, yeah. but, <laughs> right. but that turned out to be the only ram we saw. So we moved camp the next day. On the horse ride over, we got a mile from the new camp, and we spotted three caribou bulls up on top and in uh, top of a big ridge and in British Columbia. They've got to have five points on one side on top to be legal, mm -hmm. at least where we were. And we looked at them just with the binoculars. They were pretty far up there. Um, but they were feeding on an open slope, and it was early evening. And the guide said, I, you know, I think they're going to stay there. Um, he said, but it's going to get dark. we got to go set up camp. It's, it's too far to go tonight. Maybe we'll come back and look in the morning. I said, well, they're in a perfect stockable spot i said can't you know if we go light can't we go up there and he said no he, we had a whole string of horses and everything packed just and, a lot of work behind yeah you. yeah and he said we got a lot of work to set up camp he said i'll tell you what if you and if you and what turned out to be our our packer he said if, if you and mike want to run up the hill you guys try it but we're going to stay with the horses and um we'll we'll leave your two horses tied here and if you take too long we're going to ride on to camp and start setting up and you go ahead and uh he said, I don't know how big that bull is. And I said, well, if do you think he's legal? And he said, I can see. I'm pretty sure I can see five points. I'm pretty sure he's legal. I said, that's good enough for me. I'm I'm not a trophy hunter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a usually, uh, I'll shoot the first representative species that I that I can you yeah. know get in front of me. Given the choice, I'm always going to shoot. Shoot a big one unless yeah. something smaller walks in front of you <laughs> first. I'm always going <laughs> to, you know, I'm, I try to hunt mature animals. I try to hunt, uh, 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 you know, uh, good uh, animals to take out of the herd but don't but, pass up a right yeah. right but the bottom line is i like to kill things with my bow oh it's, yeah it's fun and i go there and i eat the meat and i do the, the adventure is what it's about it's and so blast. he told me it was legal i said yeah i want to go up the hill so 
me and Mike take off up the hill and, and we scramble up there just as quick as we can. And it, what they thought was going to be a two or two to three hour climb, you know, 45 minutes, uh, later, I'm crouched behind a boulder with two little mountain caribou bulls looking at me and the packer in a rock slide from about 20 feet above us and they're they're looking and to this day i swear we are the first two humans that those those two <laughs> those two bulls saw because they were right downwind and they were snorting and they were doing that uh that thing that the whitetails always do where they bob their head and they pretend they're going to feed and then, and then they, they pop yeah, up snap, real quick. snap their head up trying <laughs> to get us to move and we're crouched and finally finally mike says my legs are falling asleep i gotta move and i said well i guess move and we we still hadn't seen this third bull and uh, he was just up over the lip and and uh, i said well move and he moved and it almost calmed him down they they when when he moved a little bit and we didn't come after him they both just they got bored with looking at us and after about 10 minutes one turned around and bedded looking away from us and the other one kind of fed back up over the ridge and I said, uh, as soon as as soon as that other one, if he drops his head to go to sleep, or if he gets up, you know, we, we got to move up to this next rock. And it didn't take five minutes. That other one got up and followed his buddy up over the hill. And I got up to the next boulder. And when I peeked over the boulder, here laid the le- the legal caribou at thirty yards. And I looked over my shoulder and I said, he's a shooter. Yeah, he's no yeah. doubt. He's <laughs> a good bull. He, he's a shooter, and so. And he has no idea I'm there. He's he's looking downhill. He's above his two little immature buddies there, and and he so he's just watching them down the hill. And the wind is the wind is quartering to the to the ones down the hill, but not to this big bull. A tremendous and bull. I uh, I knelt <laughs> down behind the rock and I said, as soon as he stands up, it's going to happen. And uh, the the packer hadn't seen him yet. And about ten minutes later, this bull stands up and his horns rise up over the rock. And the Packer lets out this big gas <laughs> because, and, and as soon as I saw his hind end just flinch to, you know, you can tell when they're going to stand up, I drew the yardage. I'd, I had done the shot probably in that 10 minutes. I had done the shot in my mind, you know, 40 or 50 times. So I was ready. And I drew as he stood and as he just turned to stretch his front legs like a cat and the arrow hit him in the lungs he turned out to score three ninety nine. I figured he was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he had uh, he had eighteen scoreable points on one side and nineteen on the other. Well, so well above legal. For and and so yeah. they they he uh, he was the second or third biggest. The, those guys have been running that outfitting operation for I don't know nineteen or twenty years, and he was the third biggest one. The only like the fifth one they'd ever. Ha- they don't take bow hunters generally, so yeah. um, especially well, their mountain games just they think it's too hard for bow hunters, and so um, he'd well, only been them wrong twice. Yeah, he, he'd only been the third, third or fourth or fifth caribou ever killed with a bow with him, and and he was like the maybe the second or third biggest caribou that ever in all the years gun or bow that that, that they had killed. So. So we killed him and and uh, went to the new camp and we hunted hard. Got a lot of fog and kind of crappy weather the rest of the hunt. But long story short, I saw maybe two or three more ewes and never saw another sheep. So, mm. um, but uh, we're not done. Yeah, I with, could, with, so, with Gary's yeah. luck. Yeah. So so I could I could have <laughs> passed. I could have passed. Uh, you know, I could have shot a couple of moose, but they were small moose i had already killed a, a moose several years back in alberta a canadian moose and so i elected not to shoot a moose because that would have 
you know, tied up a bunch of days and taken away from the sheep hunt. So I didn't shoot a moose and, and, uh, and we finished out the hunt, but I went to the show the next year and I talked to the outfitter and I, he, he said, you know, he had told me, look, the goal of this hunt, I told him my number one animal, of course, was a stone sheep and I'd never be able to afford to hunt stone sheep again. I was sure. And uh, he said, well, we'll, we'll figure it out and you come back. So they had me back last fall. Um, and he said, I'm going to have you come early and do the early August hunt, the first hunt of the year. I'm going to put you in my best area, but you, I don't want you getting any other tags. I want you to go there, focus on a sheep, get a sheep. And, uh, and I saw, I saw legal Ram seven out of 12 days. And wow. You uh, can't beat that. Yeah. Especially and, the and way stone sheep hunts it was, going nowadays. It was really hot. It was super hot and buggy. The sheep were hanging high in the cliffs. We thought they'd come down at night and they weren't, if they were coming down at night, it was in the dark and only for a little bit of time. Cause by early in the morning, they were up in the cliffs. But, uh, finally on the 12th day, uh, at 4:30 in the afternoon, we we had found uh, three rams bedded about halfway up the mountain, and uh, and we snuck in there, and I and I shot a nine and a half year old ram. Oh, it's awesome! Uh, yeah, on day 12 of, and so I got my stone sheep. So and then so that was so that so that was awesome. That was that was last yeah, that, that was, was cool. last fall. That's cool. <laughs> so my my Alaska residency kicked in um, uh, September 1st. I drew a two gash doll permit 136 uh, no i no i drew the arch you know oh, I'm, uh, yeah. archery one yeah oh, i drew yeah. i drew the okay. D, i drew the ds140 because um well no while that's lucky right yeah it's yeah. not as lucky as yeah. what he's about yeah so <laughs> so i so i went and that was a phenomenal learning experience my first doll sheep hunting and it was kind of a do-it-yourself i met a couple of great guys on the hill i hunted on and and shared camp a little bit made some new friends learned a, Be a fun hunt tough yeah. hunt though yeah there in oh. october with snow and, and everything yeah. else yeah we had snow hiking. and sleet and rain. but at least you know there's big rams in there they're in there i saw i saw a ton of sheep i learned a lot it was it was a great adventure i'd be, i wouldn't short of not coming home with the sheep i, I wouldn't trade it for anything and i'll, I'll do that tag again if i ever draw it for sure um but uh yeah then a, a couple months after that uh i was sitting at my desk one morning and uh the phone rings and it's an alabama phone number and i my first reaction was telemarketer yeah and uh i almost didn't answer it and then i thought well i'll just tell them you know don't bother me anymore so i answered it and, and uh i recognized the guy's voice as being one of the two kind of main staff guys that run the Grand Slam program, you know, at the banquets I usually go to. And he, he told me, oh, Gary, this is Chris from Grand Slam Club O's. How are you this morning? So well, I think I'm pretty good because <laughs> yeah, I realized yeah. I realized it was Monday and they do their drawings, you know, the first and third Monday of each month. And, and he said, do you have any idea why I'm calling you? And I said, well, Chris, I hope it's because you're standing there uh, facing a video camera, because they put them on YouTube, uh, facing a video camera, holding my name on a little white ticket because uh, <laughs> you pulled it out of the Super Slam drum. And he said, well, that's exactly why I'm calling. You won a mountain caribou hunt with uh, one of our outfitters in the Northwest Territory. Oh, cool. <laughs> Just a string of good And, luck, and so, uh, you know, so uh, I don't know how a guy can get much more blessed. I, no, I, yeah, I've, already, I've already shot a mountain caribou, and so they were lucky enough, or they were nice enough to work with me, and, uh, and I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go woodland caribou hunting instead and go to Newfoundland. Same as I think Nick's got a hunt plan yep. there. We're, we're both apparently next uh, October 2019. Both yep. of us are going to be in. It'll be fun. Yeah, be in Newfoundland and try to try to shoot a woodland caribou. If I get a woodland caribou, it'll be the 
the fifth and last caribou species for me. So nice. I'll at least have the, the caribou just slam part of you. Away one yeah, at time. just one at a time. And yep. you know, um, I missed out on the Quebec stuff. I wanted to go, but my schedule in September doesn't really allow a whole lot of vacationing. And, and a lot of those Quebec hunts were in September, and yeah, I couldn't make it work. I, but I, you I, did, yeah. I bit the bullet, and this I found out at the Grand Slam convention last year. I found out that they were closing down sure. caribou hunting in Quebec, and this was going to be the last year. And the outfitters I talked to, I immediately thought, well, if I'm going to do this super you have slam, to do it now. Yeah, yeah, I got to do it now. And I talked to four outfitters, and everybody was sold out. And um, I was kind of lamenting to a couple of guys at one of the tables at the lunch auction. I think it was the Friday of the Thursday, Friday, Saturday convention. And I was just complaining about, God, I've talked to everybody. I don't know how it's going to work. And there was a couple walking by and talking French. And uh, the guy stopped and he said, uh, you're talking Richard? about, you're talking about Quebec. Uh, it was Alan uh, Tardif okay. from okay. Leaf River. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Alan stopped and he said, are you talking about Quebec? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm trying. I, I hear they're shutting it down. It's terrible. I, I, it's one of the caribou I need. I go, he said, come to my table. And I went over and he had just had two cancellations oh, perfect and he and his wife had a they had a waiting list of phone calls that they were going to make um but he's i said you know well, well what's it going to take for me to and he said well the first person that gives me a deposit you know i'm gonna i'm gonna sell these hunts i said do you have to sell them two on one because i'll i'll buy them both and find somebody to go <laughs> yeah and, and he said no 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 i've got a list i'll find somebody but if you want to go i'll take your deposit right now and you know and not that i could had I, I had planned to do a bunch of alaska is here it's my first year in alaska and i'm booking a canadian, yeah. Yeah. A canadian <laughs> caribou hunt but yeah. you know it's it's the goal i have and like you said earlier it's kind of all about priorities right so and a lot of people you know I'm lucky enough to have a pretty pretty good job that I get pretty good vacation time and and if I do it right I can I can go on some of these hunts. I think um, vacation time is almost more important than than your income in a lot of cases because you, know, you can budget properly and then and then if you have the time off to actually go and do the stuff that we like to do a lot of jobs you know, they give you a week of vacation a year or two weeks or whatever and yeah. you know you figure a week with the family or whatever and all the other stuff that pops up but if you have ample vacation time, you can save all year to do the stuff that we like to do. And, and you and know, you can. It really is about priorities because uh, people always say, oh, well, you just have them. If you have money, you can do anything. No. And I say, you know, I don't have that. I don't have that much money and I'm not living that great. But I also like this hunts in this hunt, uh, this caribou hunt that I won. So that's going to take some planning and, and um, uh, that's lucky enough to be paid for. But the 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 one I went on this last year um I had enough for the deposit and I really didn't have the rest of the money, but I had nine months to pay for so it. So you figured it out. And so, yeah, yeah. So I knew rather than, uh, you know, rather than have an extra vehicle or rather than like half of the people at my office go spend a week in Hawaii during February to get out of Alaska. You know, I don't go to, I've never yeah. been to Hawaii yeah. and I, and I don't really care to go unless <laughs> I go to Lanai and hunt axes. Yeah. Sure, well, sure, and sure. I was, you know, I talked to but, Ken and Anna a little bit about that because it's like anyone that's going after the super slam. There's so like so many people that, that you know, and you see this stuff on social media. So oh, well, yeah, it must be nice. You're just loaded. No, these people are dedicated. Most of the people that like, that's their that's their goal. It reminds me of a story, a local guy here in town that um, has been flying airplanes since he was out of high school, basically has owned airplanes since he's out of high school. And he said like the same thing. It's your prior. He said, 
no matter what, I was going to be flying. He's like, I drove a junk car, <laughs> lived in cheap places. He's like, yeah. but I always had an airplane. I know guys that have a super slim goal that, that have in- incredible paying jobs and they live in a one bedroom apartment and they sleep on a mattress on the floor because they want to go hunt and that's what they focus on doing. And, you know, that that's the that's the type of attitude, I guess, and the determination it takes to pull off the you know, these type of things for for an average person. Well and I you know, I'm I I lose count, but I'm I'm somewhere around seventeen species, seventeen sixteen, seventeen species. So I'm I'm over halfway to the slam and um eleven of those Eleven or twelve of those have been do-it-yourself hunts. Sure. Um, now, some of them took me multiple years. I've been I've been coos deer hunting five times. I haven't killed a coos deer, but I've you know I've done all the hunts myself. Um, and living you know down in the lower forty-eight, <laughs> I was I was able to do that. Yeah. Um, I moved to Alaska because it was probably not in the cards for me to pay an outfitter to hunt a brown bear. To hunt a doll sheep, right? To to you know to hunt a, an Alaskan Yukon. No, you you can really um, and, and you can put a, a big dent in in the the overall list of species by living up here and doing yeah. it by yourself. And even and even like you know super slam aside, like there's just so many cool things to do up here, oh. which kind of leads me into like one of the things I want to ask you, like what. And even, I don't even know if I can narrow it down, but like, what are some of the things you've noticed since moving up here or like things you appreciate about it or opportunity wise that are different for you now than, than when you were living in the lower 48? Well, first of all, I lived in a, I lived in a pretty beautiful place. The Black Hills of South Dakota are, are, are beautiful. I lived 20 miles from Mount Rushmore. We had uh, some granite peaks. You know, I lived at about 4,000 feet elevation. Um, there was a, you know, snow skiing within an hour of me. Um, it was a very diverse topography. I could hunt river bottoms. I could hunt grain fields. Um, I, and I could hunt timbered places. And I thought it was beautiful. That being said, you know, right now where I live, um, with the spotting scope from inside my living room, I can glass sheep on yeah. on, on a mountain in the Chugash, and my uh, my house sits at about a hundred foot elevation. And and uh, whether it's driving to work or whether like the drive up here to Fairbanks today, I drove from Palmer up to Fairbanks. I cannot get over how beautiful this place is. Yeah. But for me, um, things like. Uh, I walked on snowshoes this winter for the first time ever, and and I've lived where you know we've had lots, it's a lot of snow pain in the ass. <laughs> you know what? But I was determined to. The reason I did it, I wanted to learn because I had planned to go uh, to do a hunt like yours and do a late season uh, goat hunt on Kodiak, and so um, my buddy got injured at the last minute, and we we postponed the trip but so i thought i was going to maybe have to wear snowshoes so i did two things for the first time i learned how to walk in crampons and i learned how to walk in snowshoes and they're both kind of a pain in the ass um but i was i was out looking for ptarmigan and i couldn't i can't tell you how much fun i had (laughs) falling around stumbling around trying to shoot ptarmigan with my bow in snowshoes i looked like you know a kid wearing his dad shoes around the house for the first time uh learning how to walk in 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 shoes too big for me and and looking for birds that i didn't really have a clue of where i should look or how i should find them but i knew that if i did find them they were probably going to be uh docile enough that they'd they'd sit there at least give me one bow shot and uh and you know that's that's an opportunity that 
is hard for me or a situation that's hard for me to describe to anybody uh, who lives down south. I mean, it's just... Uh, How about being able to go to Sportsman's or Cabela's and get all of your tags for free? Oh, I, I tell that to people still. That's one of the probably the biggest things that my friends back home uh, or other um, hunting friends that I have that live other places have just... When you tell them that, they, they need to, they ask again, and then they make me repeat myself, and I say... It's free. Yeah, yeah. if once I buy my hunting license, like um, this week I'm going up to Fairbanks, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have dinner with my buddy Nick, and then I'm, I'm going to go out, uh, it's bear season, and, and you know, I've, I've yet to shoot a grizzly bear, and, and it's really on the list for this year as a focus, and so I'm going to go grizzly bear hunting, and they say, well, how much did that cost? I said, well, I went down to Cayman Fish <laughs> and said I need a harvest ticket for a grizzly bear, and, and the man handed me one. And they well, said, no, they didn't hand you one. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. They didn't even, for that, you're right, they, they didn't did. even give me that. Yeah. I just, I for went Blackberry. and asked. That's how little I knew. Yeah. I went and asked about Here's that. Here's a pat on the back and <laughs> yeah. go get them. Yeah, it was my black bear ones that they gave me, yeah. but, but he didn't give me a black bear harvest ticket. He gave you five yeah, or six he, or whatever. he gave me five of them. And that's, and, only, that's only been in the past few years because there until a few years ago, you didn't have harvest tickets for black bears. Oh, really? Okay. No, yeah. It was, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, you know, they give, they, they, uh, they give you a harvest ticket and you can, you can shoot a sheep. Yeah. People pay thousands of dollars yeah. to shoot sheep anywhere else and they and yeah. and and for the price of my hunting license they give me one. Yeah. So back to it, it, luck like if you got any luck I'm I'll take any. It took me 15 years to draw toke. I drew it this year. I'm not taking my bow. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I mean So you you really are just a hunter. <laughs> I am just a hunter. <laughs> but yeah, I've killed 11 sheep all on harvest tickets. Oh, free. Free yeah. tickets. You know. But harvest tickets in a pile of work. Mhm. Free or not, I mean it, it living up here is definitely more difficult than than what most people experience in the yeah, lower well, eight. depending on what you're, yeah, I guess what you're willing to put up with. Um, I, I personally don't mind it one bit, but I could see where some people would have a hard time. Yeah, for me, it's it's different. You know, the the adjustment. Uh, so the beauty of things, the number of species. You know, you ask me what what do I really appreciate up here? What do, what do I really like? The the different experiences, the beauty of everything, the number of species I can hunt. How they how how my hunting license and my hunting and fishing privileges give me so very much as a as an avid sportsman. That I like. Um, now. Like Nick said, the challenges, uh, the, some of the things that are different are, you know, at home, I could get up and maybe go sit in a river bottom and try to uh, arrow a whitetail out of a tree stand, or I could get off work at four o'clock and mm, be, 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 be out in the bat, be out in the badlands, you know, stalking an early season mule deer um, for the evening and then be back home to put my kids to bed and, and, um, and work the next day. And, and that was sort of normal fare. And that's pretty tough to do in Alaska. The logistics yeah. are, are far more challenging. That's, but, that's been my, my uh, biggest, uh, contention, I guess, or, or hardest thing to adjust to. I'm grew, growing up in Wisconsin, then living in Kansas and then Idaho, I was able to hunt, you know, if, if there was something open, I could go hunting after work every day and living here. I, it, it's, it's very difficult for me to, to be able to hunt after work. 
because the places we're going are yeah. quite a bit of ways. You know, you got to plan a little bit, you know. So my hunting is now, you know, it turned into weekend stuff or, you know, during the spring. I'm, I, you know, depending on what's going on, I might be able to just like suck it up the next day and, you know, not get a whole lot of sleep or whatever. But for the most part, yeah, you, you're, you're missing out on the weekday stuff. Which, yeah, I think that's the... And I'm used to doing that, you know. We used to get picked up from school and it was either go to football practice or or basketball practice or go hunting it was one or the other and right, usually right. hunting one right almost <laughs> almost uh all year in college i mean i had uh security probably wouldn't like this course back in that day you know you could do it but we we brought our shotguns to school yeah. virtually every day and you could shoot a limit of, fe- of pheasants um, if on you your a, ride if, home from work, if you had a lake, rather. if you had a lake class, you could do it in the morning. Or if the snow, yeah. if the snow geese were there, you could shoot, you know, a, a limit of snow geese and beat a class by ten yeah. in the morning. Or, or yeah, shoot pheasants after, you know, on the way home, or or go decoy ducks either early or late. I and, do remember one one class professor was actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> I I told her I said, all right, if I'm not in class. Tomorrow morning, I killed a moose, and I'll bring you some meat. <laughs> I wasn't in class. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, that's, you know, I do like that about up here. Um, while the logistics are challenging, and it's challenging whether it means traveling into work, whether it means having a flight delay, whether it means getting in or out of the field, you know, Alaskans are pretty accommodating yes. for that, are pretty accustomed to that. Um, people at work understand when we have weather, we have weather. And we're not going to be able to make right, it. Things right. don't happen always on time no, or when they're supposed no. to. They they know what it means when I say, hey, the planes are fogged out and I'm going to be, you know, two days late. Yeah. It's a, it it's a way of life up here. And I really, I like that. That's cool. That's, but, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that just the logistics, I, I would tell, you know, for me, it was, I mean, it's been a long time now since I transitioned yeah. up here, but... uh yeah, and that's what I and it's one of the hardest things to explain to people that haven't exper- haven't experienced up here. I mean, the place is so big and like if the guys I, if, like the guys that was helping on the mo- on their moose hunt last year, um the one guy bought a caribou tag and um they ended up coming out. They got one nice bull moose and ended up coming out a little early and I was thinking, well, you know, go caribou. Is there anywhere we can we can go get a caribou and I'm like, well, you got you know, three days before you got to fly out, just doing the math in my head. Um, three days before you got to fly out, got a moose to butcher. It'll take yeah. it'll take an entire day to go get you into where you can, you know, where have a chance of killing one. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then an entire re- day to get out, you know. And it then repeat the butchering process already that you have to do with the moose. Yeah, so, right. I mean, it's just something that's... It's tough to understand. Yeah, (laughs) and if I'd have moved here directly from Kansas without spending time hunting out west prior, I would have been up Schitt's Creek without a paddle. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known. You know, like coming from Kansas, our the reg book there was one page. You know, coming from Wisconsin, it was one page. Then moved to Idaho, and I freaked out. You know, the reg book's as big as this atlas sitting down here. You know, that's just Idaho. And so I figured out what to do there, and then moving up here, it was a very it was an easy transition compared yeah. to coming from a, a you know an eastern state or a midwest state up to here there's there's a lot to learn a lot to read and a lot to figure out logistics wise but yeah. man but the, people that are willing to do it yes. like can be very successful like right. you like I, I still remember the first time i met you when you came <laughs> up um aaron snyder told me to get in touch with you because you were moving up and right and we did and i still kind of like 
it's one of those things where you like keep a person at arm's length a little bit till till you know that they're because there's a lot of people that'll be you know oh they they just want someone to take them to get their animal i mean run into it all the time yeah oh you're so lucky like dude i'm nothing special like i'm just you just gotta know you just gotta go do it put the time into doing it and uh yeah but yeah it's very doable i mean the the first time i ever you know, I had a great time two weeks ago on, on Prince of Wales, but the first time I ever went there, I was sitting, you know, sitting on, in the off season in in uh, in my uh, basement, um, watching the hunting channel and uh, reading an article in Eastman's Outdoors about a guy who lived in Ketchikan who would fly over to POW every year and hunt the Alpine early, and he claimed you could do it and you could do it easy with a little bit of work and the next day i would, the next night actually i was shooting archery league at the local archery shop and i was talking to one of my friends i said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna get i've i've killed a white tail and i've killed a mule deer and if i'm gonna do this super slam i gotta kill as many of these animals by my, <laughs> yeah. uh, as i can by myself and a, a deer doesn't seem that hard to pack out <laughs> i've packed out lots of deer uh, through some pretty rough country and this article says it's not that hard how hard can it be and uh you know, so I sat down and I made the phone calls and I did the research and uh, fast forward nine months and me and that guy that I talked to that night at Archery League, uh, you know, flew into a, a lake at 1,500 feet and climbed another 900 feet and camped in the Alpine and he shot a Pope and Young bu- uh, buck with his recurve and uh, and I shot two Pope and Young bucks with the, with the compound and we, we could have shot a, a truckload of them. <laughs> really? Frank, that's frankly. The, I mean, what, what you did from South Dakota planning that hunt is the same thing that people here in Alaska have the opportunity to do and if they're apprehensive about doing it, just figure out the species you want to hunt. Look it up in the regs, figure out when they're open, okay? Maybe talk to the biologists in the area, which yeah. I'm sure you probably yep. did. I talked to okay. the biologist. I talked to yep. uh, two, two pilots, a biologist, and of all things, one of the times I called uh, Game and Fish to talk to the biologist, he wasn't available, and the, the secretary who, who answered the phone said, I should have you talk to, they had a guy doing some... Uh, some kind of predator study or predator control yeah. uh, there, and but he had spent a ton of time on the ground there. Yeah. And me and that guy BS'd for an hour, and I got, frankly, the most information out of ever. The biologist was very helpful, but uh, that was just a random guy at Game of Fish right. who knew POW, and he gave me a bunch of information, that and a magazine article. Yeah, so th- those those simple few things right there, couple that with a little bit of online research and whatever you read in magazines or watch on TV or on YouTube or whatever, and then obviously talk to people that are there, you can plan a hunt very easily. You know, it, you just, but you have to just jump in with both feet. And, well, and yeah, I it. think the biggest, the biggest thing it. is because yeah, not everybody, but there's so many people that, oh, I would love to do a moose hunt or a caribou hunt or, you know, like even on like talking the animals that non-residents can hunt yeah, or, or residents for, you know, because you run into the same thing where. I'd love to do this or that, and there's some things that I'm kind of that way. I'm apprehensive but, but about you, several things up here. But you know, you know, you can if you you can wish and want all your whole life and never do do it. Wish in but, one hand and shit know, in the other, you, and see you, which one fills up first. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you 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 know you decide. All right, I'm going to do this some way, and it's just like little steps it's not anything overly complicated well yeah just like doing a little bit of research and getting there i mean shit when i went when we went goat hunting this spring you know i'm 
you know, some guy could have done a ton of research and I, I didn't care, frankly, that much because I just wanted to go have a good time. Yeah. But get down there and, you know, be like, all right, these pilots are flying around go over every day. I'm like, yeah, you know, drop us off somewhere where we probably ain't going to run into anybody and, and there's some goats around and, and we'll, we'll figure, figure out it out. Yeah. 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 When I, when I went, you know, we, me, me and that buddy talked about it and I said, look, what's the worst thing that can happen? We're going to spend at the, at the time, I'm not sure I had all in $2,500 invested in an eight-day vacation from South Dakota to Alaska with the opportunity to shoot. I had chose to buy two deer tags, so I thought I could shoot two animals and have this great Alaskan adventure, and the worst thing that's going to happen is I don't come home with the animals, but I still have the adventure yeah. for $2,500. And and I really didn't know how it was going to turn out or kind of what country, what I, I could see it on Google Earth, I could see it on the map, I could see it in the magazine article, but I didn't know how exactly it was going to work, but I thought, well, they're deer. I've stalked deer before. Mm-hmm. I, we've, in seven days, we ought to be able to figure something out. Sure, you know, in an early season like that, they're, yeah. they're only in one, really one part of the, part right. of the mountain. That, well, that's what I was told, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, I thought, at for $2,500, I could go this year, and have a seven-day uh, learning experience, and if it doesn't work out, I'll save my money and go two years from now, and I'm still just under the price of what it looked like a five-day guided hunt was going to cost, yeah. and I'd have two vacations. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought, well, as it turned out, it was a fabulous hunt, and it wasn't that hard. It was just as the article said. Um, we, we we had good weather. We had good flights. Uh, I saw, uh, we saw 20-plus bucks Perfect. a day. Um, other than a, other than a black bear sow and her two cubs, uh, stealing one of the deer that I stealing the meat, uh, after I shot one of my deer from camp, uh, while I was out trying to shoot the other one, that was, that was the only bad thing about the trip. And it wasn't that bad. Cause I had another deer to, you yeah, know, yeah. to bring out of there, but it, it was so good that two years later, I brought another friend up and did the exact same hunt. And, um, we had a little more challenging weather and a little longer hike. Cause I, I tried what I thought was going to be an easier access point and it turned out harder. Um, it was still both both guys that came with me said they'd do it again it was a, it was a absolute fun adventure yeah, it, just, it really just comes and down it was to jumping in it comes it comes down to jumping in being aggressive about what you want to do and anybody that's living here in the state of alaska that's on the fence about going to do something if if you are aggressive about figuring out what you want to do and where you want to go just go do it you know do put put your best foot forward jump in with both feet and if if it works out and you and you harvest an animal great but if not you learn something and your next trip you're going to you're going to be that much better off and i think there there are certain things when i moved up here like you know as far as uh, there's a few species that i i just didn't really want to deal with and moose was one of them cuz i I hear all these horror stories about people flying out for moose and, you know, it doesn't work out or whatever. And then with my schedule, so I just waited for the right opportunity to come along. And this year I finally go on a moose hunt. But well, your first one was, was about, right here. <laughs> about 30 yards from right where we're sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did shoot one in my backyard, but I don't, you know, that wasn't a moose hunt. I mean, really, I just had a tag and, and took one. But when it, come, when it came down to it, I was just really apprehensive about, you know, who I wanted to fly with, where I wanted to go, and, uh, and it, it, it came together this year so i'll get to go but well and i think if you're if you're open to the opportunity if you if you pick some things and just commit to them uh, uh that's certainly one way to go and also um uh don't limit yourself i mean i've talked to some people that that uh they're they're waiting for that perfect opportunity yeah. before they do anything right. and I, I think if you talk to enough folks and you uh 
uh, spend enough time, whether it's at the archery range, at the gun range, at Cabela's, yeah. uh, at, you know, uh, whatever functions, and, and you just visit with enough people, sooner or later, you'll get an invite to tag along with somebody, or so, you'll get a little bit of information. And then you or, just take that little bit, and you can just keep building on that's it. That's right. And, uh, and maybe not the perfect opportunity will come along. But my mindset when I moved up here was I'm not going to pass any opportunity up. When I was, when I was down at POW uh, bear hunting, my buddy said, hey, do you want to go check shrimp pots with me? Uh, well, of course. And I, and I was like, <laughs> absolutely. That, yeah. I mean, and it turned out we had a ball and it turned out, you know, to be fun. And so I've, you know, I've went... I, I'm not a fisherman. I always, you yeah, know, I people people are probably going to send <laughs> yeah. people are going to send bad um, bad comments to the podcast here. But I, 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 I sorry, right. right at, at this I point, always, any comments are good comments. I always, I always, uh, I always tell my buddies, yeah, I'm not much of a fisherman. Fishing's for guys that don't know how to hunt. But, um, no? um, you know, but what I do like is catching fish and eating fish. And since I've been here, That's a good way to put I, it. I've been I've been halibut fishing. I've been salmon fishing. I'm going I'm going depth dip netting for the first time uh in a couple of weeks because the opportunity just came up somebody invited me along and i'm like yeah it's not my thing i don't even you know salmon's not the preferred fish i'd eat i'm i'm never going to turn down the opportunity i've went and checked crab pots i've went and done shrimp pots i've done all you know all of these things because i told myself when you go to alaska do it all do it all <laughs> you know and you'll yeah. find you'll number one every time i ride in somebody's boat i get in a plane i drive uh, one of the roads because we don't have very many of those up here <laughs> um every, every time i go down a new path i learn something yeah and it's an adventure up here and i either learn that i don't want to do that again right or, or i learn hey that's that's not so challenging you know that took a little planning i could see how i want to be more prepared but i could do that on my own i could with a buddy i could figure that out yeah there's so now before we get too long i gotta back this up a little bit (laughs) nick says i hate fishing he is full of shit We I go pike. I, we go pike fishing. You're just now discovering I can't, that. I can't. I can't even get the motor shut off, and he's slinging spoons out there. And well, I mean, if oh, we're man. fishing, I'm going to fish, but I'm not going to. I'm not. You know, if somebody said you could uh, hunt on this side of the street or great fishing on this side of the street, I'm staying on this yeah, side of the yeah, street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. But uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> shoot, like shooting beavers out of the boat. <laughs> it's some kind of wired up. <laughs> Threw yeah. my landing net handle in say, the water. I, and, I hear uh, you don't want to loan him your equipment, though, when I, he's beaver hunting because he's a little Make careless. him wear a life jacket. I like reeling fish in. I like feeling them bite, but I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible fisherman. When it comes to pike, what do you throw in? The, I mean, you throw a spoon in the water and they bite it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No thought. <laughs> I didn't have to think about it. There's something about it. You know, I, uh, I'm a pretty hardcore uh, a bow hunter, and I, I've, I've spent many... Many a day where I sat dark to dark in a tree stand, so many hours hunting a specific buck, or like some of twice I've went down and hunted coos deer, and I spent seven full days dark to dark in a tree stand without seeing a, an antlered animal, and, and I can do that. I can't stand in the bow of a no. boat, and if I cast the pole <laughs> no. more than thirty minutes without some action happening, oh, I got, I'm ready to go. I mean, see, I can, see now this can, is where we're separated from <laughs> where I now because. I, I got to kind of Tyler back. Tyler back. <laughs> so where I where I grew up in Colorado, it was like, yeah, if we went out for a day and caught a couple fish, we were doing pretty good. <laughs> That's yeah. up here now. If it's like you don't get a bite, and well, depends on the type of fishing. You know, yeah. fishing for grayling, whatever. 
three or four casts, all right, we're moving. Yeah, exactly. You know, a little pike fishing, all right, five minutes. The fishing I've had up here I've been spoiled with. It's been incredible. Yeah, Yeah. and that's what I'm trying to say. From the copper to where we pike fish to ocean fishing, I've been absolutely spoiled. Me too, me too. No doubt about it. (laughs) It's the best fishing, but I still don't love it. Right. Not even close. I mean, when I I was a a little (laughs) kid, I was obsessed with fishing. And I, I remember going back and forth between whether I liked fishing or hunting better. And it depended on the time of year. Of course. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, till you learn, I, de- till I you definitely like, yeah, I learned better. Yeah. I, I love fishing, but I, there for a few years, because I'd go down to, a fo- you know, working down in a Fognac. So you got and spoiled I'd, down there, for I'd sure. go down to a Fognac for a week in the summer, and that's the only fishing I did all year, because I got enough. burnt out. <laughs> yeah, like, when enough. you're reeling up halibut and lingcod and rockfish, like, all day long, all day yeah. long yeah. you know, it's but like, you know, this is But, you enough. know, my point was, even even though I'm not really a fisherman, uh, I've yet to turn down somebody that said they want to take me out in the field, because yeah. the way I look at it as is... As long as it's July. You're right. Uh, yeah. well, right. <laughs> well, right, right. If I happen to not, yeah, if I happen to not, you know, have the opportunity to hunt, but the way I look at it is, you know... Uh, if I go to the Copper River and, and dip net, uh, maybe I'm going to see country I've never seen before. And of course, my eyes are going to be on the mountains. And Have my, you been there yet? No. Oh, it's beautiful. And, and my You'll eyes, enjoy it. and my eyes, you know, my thought process is going to be, geez, this is close enough. I could maybe drive over here and figure out a bear bait, or I could come over here and, you know, do some kind of, yeah. do some kind of hunt and, and, uh. But it, it's just a chance to get out in the field. And, yeah, that country and, will grab a hold of you. Yeah. Especially it's so, if it's uh, nice out. Man, it's a beautiful area. And, and what better way to, you know, if it's that or sit and watch football for the I, afternoon. I'd go fishing over watching football. Yeah. See, <laughs> yeah. That's me too. I, I do just yeah. about, a, you know, I I I, I, uh, I live in Palmer, kind of by an area called the Butte, and it's a little hill outside of Palmer. But uh, I'd rather spend, spend my afternoon um, uh walking up that with a backpack full of rocks than uh you know sitting in front of a tv most days just uh, for sure just because it's it's just so awesome yeah uh, and it is kind of a year-round endeavor up here you always kind of got to be ready for something but if you're ready for something there's always something there yeah just take advantage of everything you can uh, you yeah like we were talking earlier you, you know you're running up to go try and get a grizzly bear up north yeah i'm going i'm going to country i've never been in I'm really, uh, I'm and be, I think you'll be blown away by that country. Up and I'm, there. and I'm going to be hunting. I'm going to be hunting alone. I'm going to be, you know, um, archery hunting, of course. And and as far as I'm concerned, if I see a bear, that's going to be great. If I get a chance on a stock on a bear, that's going to be great. And if I don't, man, I'm going to spend Memorial Day exploring some new country and sure. learn, learning some new things and figuring out either what to do or what not to do. Um, and uh, you know, I like how he says, "I'm going to be archery hunting." Of course. <laughs> yeah. he's no, just a well, it was funny. Well, we were, me. beforehand. We were talking. I think I brought it. I don't know because you get on these rants. So I'm working on this piece for uh, like outdoor life for like as just a web piece, like ten myths of bear baiting. Because yeah, okay. everyone just get you know everyone who hasn't tried going and doing it themselves just, thinks they have it figured you out know but and there's the guys well, it's throw, easy, oh you know like you see a speaker picture and there's all these qualifiers diy spot and stock <laughs> you know and yeah. we were uh, ranting about that and i just totally forgot where i was where i was going with that on. well all oh, the pieces i was going it just i don't know everything's different and you kind of got it everything's a unique experience sure 
like and, and, and everything's the, everything's is can be super challenging in its own ways like there's some you know whether it's sitting a bait some nights you know and generally like to get those nights like we had the first sit on my well both our first both sits this weekend really good was a lot of experience and learning and trial and error to get to that point where you where you just sit once and you get to shoot a bear but that's there's a lot of of bearless nights (laughs) in the past but in the same time you know like yeah sometimes spot and stock and i'm probably gonna include this in there's like i think it's a myth that spot and stock is harder than baiting sometimes it is when you spot and stock at least you know there's a bear there at least you have a target yeah and when you're bear baiting they got to come to you so yeah it's it, it, which doesn't guess, always happen right i guess it's a, you know they're well, both it, difficult in their I, th- own way. I think it, it, and it's such an individual thing like there's a lot of you know spot and stock hunts i've been on that were freaking piece of cake compared to the time it took to get a shot on bait <laughs> like like your caribou this winter that, oh I yeah guess that was spot and stuff yeah right? I, had, I, I had to wait for him to get off the road to shoot him yeah. i could have said all day oh yeah spot yeah. stock yeah, no, no bait you know that's just the way it, every every situation's different and so like i was just ranting i think at how because i'm like trying to get myself in the mindset <laughs> to write this piece so it's a little inflammatory yeah. <laughs> Well, we, you know, the last two black bears I've shot, I shot the one last week on POW, Spot and Stock DIY. Okay. And <laughs> any, uh, any other acronyms? And, and the one, um, no, not, not that, uh, no, no. Archery. But archery. Yeah, it was archery. Uh, uh, and then the not one, the real one, archery. The one, yeah. before, the one before that was, was a baited hunt. And so, um, the one, the baited hunt, I had... A day and a half of boat riding in bad weather. I had uh, a miserable camping experience. Didn't he not want you to hunt with a bow? I it, it, no, that, that's on the the spot and stock one. But I'm talking about the baited hunt a year ago. Um, I had hours spent in a boat. We had a lot of work putting in the bait. Um, I had one night where I sat, and the only bear I had was a little rubbed-up juvenile black that just came in and and messed around the whole night, and not a bear you'd ever want to shoot. Um, And then it wasn't until almost midnight on the second night of my sit. So I probably had um, pushing 12 hours in the stand um, to to kill this, what supposedly is an an easy bear out of a tree stand over a bait. I had hours of work and a a bunch bunch of effort into it. This year on the spot and stock, um, the first bear, uh, the first night, uh, after an hour in the boat, we spotted a great Pope and Young bear, got out and got out 200 yards from him on the shore and stalked up to 15 yards. And the wind just swirled. He was on one side of a rock outcropping. I was on the other. The wind swirled and he got, he got wind of me and he got in the woods, got back in the boat and we headed back the next night. The first bear we saw was on a little grass flat. They dropped me off uh, a quarter mile down downwind of the bear and 40 minutes later i was standing at you know 34 yards and i shot him and he was dead yeah and and that hunt was nowhere near i mean i had this i guess the skill to way less to, work uh, yeah i had the skill to sneak up on that bear but other than that um it was sure as fun 
but it was nowhere near the work of the baited hunt. Yeah, baited, uh, it yeah, was spot and stock, but it took <clears throat> far less time. Nobody far less sees effort. the preparation when it comes to a baited hunt. They they yeah. only see the the end game and oh, you shot it over bait. Well, they don't we understand. were we were talking earlier, you know, <laughs> like about the Ozonics machine and people. Oh, the tree stand, you're cheating. You use one of those machines, you're cheating. You use bait, you're cheating. <laughs> I just don't buy that. There's there's a lot. Of, you're doing a lot of things that maybe um, put the situation in your in your favor in your favor but without some of those things first of all it'd be i think where you you know we're all going bear hunting tomorrow in three different directions but uh where you guys are hunting you couldn't do what i'm going to do i'm going to go right. out and try to spot and stock a bear and where both of you are hunting you, ain't happening not you'd, you'd never <laughs> i don't care who you are yeah. you know uh you might I, be able to sneak around in a loincloth you know and swap mosquitoes all day but i don't know i that think it, I think it wouldn't matter what weapon i, th- using, I right? think you're only like where i'm hunting i think your only hope of killing one not on bait would be to only realistic hope is to find a game trail and sit on it 24 hours a day for a month and you might get a shot at a bear you want to shoot right maybe I'm, that's not far off you know <laughs> if not. the bugs didn't eat you in yeah. the meantime yeah <laughs> be running out of thermosel juice pretty quick that's right yeah but yeah and, and as far like the ozonics was saying you know i don't i wouldn't put as much importance on as with black bear although well like the bear i shot the other night you know we even had him running he was super spooky so yeah. you know big mature bears sometimes but the grizzlies is why i got them because i've had so many grizzlies happen to come in downwind and you never see them again they'll, they'll leave and uh it may make it to where you're get you may have an entire season you may have one or two your sh- zero to one shot opportunities it may make it one, one or two one or two yeah it's a but uh help you out and you might as well use it and and like i liked what you were saying earlier before we were recording um you know because one of the big things oh, all you're doing is sitting in a tree well tell you what when it's this cold <laughs> as it is now i mean we can all see our breath we're sitting outside yeah to sit in a tree for 8 10 12 hours holding still like yep. because the 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 funniest and i i consider it an excuse most people you know whether it's their like cop out cuz they don't like baiting <laughs> Or not the, the oh I just don't I I just I just don't like to sit still I, I'd rather 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 sneak Walk up on them rather right. you know yeah, well. and may you know I mean not saying that that may not be true in a lot of cases but like it, it's it is a dirt certain different type of challenge to sit still in a tree stand for that long especially well when you're you know, freezing your ass right off. and you know when I was bear hunting in Idaho it got dark out at 10 o'clock so you were sitting for four hours and it didn't really matter how cold it was like you were gonna sit till dark tough right? it out yeah like just like you would for whitetail you're sitting till dark but up here it doesn't really get dark in the spring so you you have the opportunity to sit and wait and wait and wait and uh if you're getting down at midnight and you haven't seen nothing but you have bears on your camera i think you're making a mistake you, well really a, lot, a lot a lot of those grizzlies are what midnight to three a.m. Yeah, we had talked about this when yeah. we were when we were trailing my bear. Like you know, what what time have you shot him at? You know, and we got to thinking when you had a couple before midnight, but you know, a couple after midnight too. But uh, you know, pictures on camera. Most of them are between midnight yeah. and three a.m. Yeah. and and it, and you don't want to get in your stand at ten o'clock or eleven o'clock at night because 
we also have pictures of them on there at six or seven or eight, you know, p.m. Right. And so, and you have black bears there earlier, yes. and so you don't want to walk in at ten o'clock and disturb and spook a, them off. Yeah, disturb a bait full of black bears because so you might have a grizzly out there in the bush waiting. Yeah. And I like to get there early and sit and just be quiet and uh-huh. wait until that you know twelve one two three, um, because by then, heck, you haven't made any noise. You know, and you've had, you probably have had another bear or whatever come through, and you, they've had time to settle down quite a while. The woods have settled. Oh, everything absolutely. Around you. Yeah, so, I mean, well, just like the other night, it was a not the night, well, the not Friday night, but Saturday when at night I shot my black bear. Like lots that. of noise all of a sudden going and, around, and, and then and they it's left. like it's like ten. Just, but but you know, as far as just the the conditions when you know you the nights I love hunting the most. Or, you know, it may be breezy during the day, I don't care. But Just when it shows it, it at like 10 o'clock, you know, before, when we're sit, you're sitting up there, there's squirrels and all sorts of stuff running around. But, but there's gets, a certain point where it gets dead quiet and yep. like literally zero wind. Yep. And then about two hours later, the birds start chirping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, they then later they start. <clears throat> I love that. Stuff too. starts waking back up. And we've sat yep. a lot of all like 10 hour sits yep. in the stand at night. And it's. Yeah, I mean, you were saying like a lot of guys like whitetails will say, "Oh, I, you know, yeah, I like tough. spot and stock because yeah. it's tougher." And then you know, but some of them guys just can't. You're right, truth can't be told, hold still. truth be told, they can't sit there. I mean, you you challenge people next time you watch an NFL football game or you watch an NHL hockey game. That's about three hours on the TV. Plant yourself in not in your recliner. Plant yourself in in a hard <laughs> yeah, in a hard <laughs> kitchen in a hard kitchen chair about eight feet from the TV, and then sit there and don't move during the whole football game. Just sit there. Now you'll be entertained and watch. Get to be entertained and watch a football game in the comfort of your house. Watch it. Yeah, watch it for three good. hours without moving. Now times that by about four, three or four. Yeah, yeah, three or four times and be cold. Right, and, <laughs> and most most guys. And- you know, mo- a lot, not most guys, several people that I know uh, <laughs> that that kind of uh, criticize or have criticized, you know, tree stand hunting. I don't think they could sit there and watch a sporting event and hold still, yeah. let it might alone. Not, it might not be the most exciting way to hunt, but I tell you right now, the the anticipation of that animal coming in is enough for me to, to Wait. endure it. <laughs> because you know, when... The, yeah. Because when that you know, I know and, how it and feels. Granted, that so grizzly, wanna... grizzly, you know, that like that grizzly came in before we had a chance to. But yeah, even, we didn't even, get excited at all. Even that black bear, yeah. like you know, you see him out there. He's like, coming. Right, it's like you get that just like shot right to your heart of adrenaline. <laughs> right. There's only one it, thing. It, there's only one thing I can really equate that to. Um, and I've thought about that a bunch. And and you know the way I describe it is you've we've all had that experience as you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you glance in one of your mirrors and there and you see sirens. And, oh, good God! Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and immediately, you know, immediately, even though you might not have been doing anything, anything maybe wrong. it's an ambulance. Yeah. But just for that split second, and you hit the bang. brakes. Yep. Yeah. You, you hit the brakes. The adrenaline goes. Well, I'll be. You know, if you sit in a tree stand and it's dead quiet and you're kind of lulled into comfort. Yep. And 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 you've been there in 45 minutes. No birds have chirped. Not a squirrel's chirped. And a twig snaps. Isn't it that same? Yeah. Oh yeah. That same. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Bang. And nothing's happened. Right. But a that's, twig snapped. Yeah. Yet you got that same adrenaline rush yeah. as oh my god, and you haven't seen a thing yet. Yeah. And I feel, not to mention. If you look over your shoulder and there's a grizzly like, well, and I and I feel like there's, it gives you a chance. Not to say this can't happen on you know hunts where you're packing around and running around like a crazy person, <laughs> but 
you like you get your senses so tuned in to what's going on like nick's bear i mean it was blow like like i said it, like we were like like we were sitting in the crow's nest on the mayflower <laughs> just like swinging around in this tree and but like as it goes on you your ears get tuned in to like every single creak and crack that happens yep. and it's like all right no i remember that from yep. last time the gust picked up and like we both recognize all that grizzly he did and he was came in quiet most of you know when he most just of them a just noise one. or just just a weird little thing that I didn't hear and I was like all right and <laughs> and yeah he said you know I heard it and right then he said here we go and I turn around and his head's starting to put you know he's walking yeah. in yeah, yeah. I but, mean even though it's dusky and dark your eyes the longer you sit there you know suddenly what looked like a brown spot now eventually. That's a pine cone, and you can recognize it. Every little stick, every little thing, uh-huh. it, you're just, your vision expands, your ears tune in. And I, al- I almost you know. do it like oh, like a, when I'm glassing for sheep or something. Like, you know, you'll look and you'll see something that looks fun, looks looks out of place or something, and you, like, reference that. Record and you just, it. you just keep going back to that and see if it's moved. Because I learned a long time ago that when it starts, like, after midnight and you're Especially like we were on like three hours of sleep, <laughs> your eye like your eyes start playing tricks on you as it starts getting dark in the woods. Like you start mm-hmm. seeing bears yeah. that aren't there, but like mine after midnight, you know, right after that noise had died down, like right. I knew. I was thinking if he if that and I I probably seeing this all over again, but I knew if if those guys left, as soon as it got quiet, he was probably going to come in and and he did not five minutes, and I saw you know a dark spot back there, and initially I'm like, I don't remember that being there and so i'm watching and watching then i see ear you know just barely see ears move that was the other uh the the bait we hunted with me that first night was the first time we'd ever had sat in that particular spot yeah and i had to get used to the entire surroundings whereas you know the bait we had not far away from there i knew every little i I knew what wasn't a bear you know and i I, yeah when it gets darker like that but sitting in a different spot i had to re i had to recalculate so it's a a whole different kind of (laughs) exciting it's a very calm yet exciting type of thing compared to you know hiking ridges or you know Mm -hmm. glass and i like doing that too that's that that's fun that's fun too but there's a you know depending on where you're hunting and what you're hunting there's a there's a good way to do each of them and And, uh, yeah and have i mean and like having experienced a lot of it myself, like no one can tell me I don't know what a hard hunt is. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've killed exactly. eleven sheep and several goats. Like, yeah. I know yeah. what like how fulfilling all that is. Yeah. But this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Like it's, I feel and the it's same still level of fulfillment and a lot of work. And, and it's but... hard in its in its own way. And yeah. and you know even just sitting still, like it's this temperature and cold, and you're slightly underdressed, like it's me. Colder and, than this. And. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like Nick saw when I got, when that grizzly bear, you know, afterwards I was like, hey, first, like, take a piss. But I, like, just started shaking uncontrollably because I'd been, like, it's like mind over matter. Yeah. You know, I've been cold the whole time, but it's just, you know, control and you're breathing. All right, hold still, focus and focus. And then when you can finally just, like, let it all go. Yeah. Well, if it was easy, you'd have a lot more grizzly bears on the wall than you have sheep, but I don't think that's the case. No, it's not. Um, but, and say that I have done, I can't complain. I've done really well. I've, in the five years it's been open for killing grizzly bears, and I haven't really like gone. I, I killed a brown bear on the peninsula with a rifle, 
And then I haven't really gone chasing grizzlies a lot of times because those, you know, for a long time I worked construction and I'd get some time off to spring bear hunt or, or what, mostly like late nights before work, go spring bear hunting. And, uh, but sheep hunting was always my priority. So I didn't go, you know, do a lot of out moose, moose hunting and all sort of other stuff. I only killed two caribou myself. But, do uh, that in one day. <laughs> yeah, Nick did do that in about thirty seconds one time, but I was I was not very far away. But <laughs> me, me too. First time I ever hunted them <laughs> up here. Yeah, archery, archery. Yeah, yeah. It was my DIY. First, it was my but first you, caribou. But you were shooting too. a wheel bow, so it doesn't count. <laughs> true, <laughs> no. true. I could have shot both. See, of them I'm, I'm like well, it, I would have missed them. Yeah, but I could have like, shot at them. I'm like in a in a unique position because uh, I mean I l- was a competitive shooter. I love hunting with a rifle and stuff, but when I got into back, archery. I got back into archery because I shot all the time. Was when I was a kid. My dad had a re, hunted with a recurve, and but when I got back in, I got into the traditional stuff and just stuck with it. But uh, um, I backtrack, and I have done. I mean, in the five years it's been open to hunt grizzly bears in that unit, I've killed four of them. Which year didn't you shoot in the second? No, would have the been third the year. third year. Oh yeah, it was the year we got charged by that. You and I, and I could though, I could have shot yeah. that sow, but yeah. I wanted to shoot the boar that was yes. right behind us, yeah. and then it kind of unraveled on you didn't us. Get, you yeah. didn't get one that year. Yeah, I didn't get one. I didn't even get my bow drawn on a bear that year. But and then the last there, two years we had plenty of bears that year yeah. on camera and stuff. It, it just, just didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, the last two years it's taken almost two months to get a shot. Yeah, you've been killing them in June. Yeah, I mean. For something about the middle of June, I've killed three of the four on the night of the 16th of June. You've killed three on the same night? Yep. And then That's pretty cool. And then the and one you're, last you're year calling was... calling me the lucky guy, huh? No, that, no I, I mean, <laughs> that's awesome. I think a lot of us make our own luck, uh, but, but when it comes to winning raffles. Yeah, uh, that's... <laughs> you put yourself in the you, position. You got to play. Yeah, but uh, right. <laughs> I had really very little to do with that, though. I but, uh, I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> but, you know, the point you made earlier, Tyler, I want to comment on that, that, you know... Uh, regardless of any hunting aside, you talk about a pretty uh, far end of the spectrums and pretty well-rounded, you know, you're shooting sheep with a turreted rifle and you're shooting bears in the same year with a, a traditional archery equipment with a stone point. That's, that's sort <laughs> yeah. of, that's sort of two ends of the gamut. And there's a lot of stuff you do that's in between. Uh-huh. I mean, that's, that's getting it done in all ranges of and all kind of scenario no scenarios. Pony, are you, Tyler? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and that's that's kind of what we've been talking about is you gotta get out there, you gotta go after it, you gotta you gotta do it. Um there's just so many it up. so yeah. many cool different experiences like you know, and and I can understand guys that all like primary just primarily bow hunt. Like I can understand that. I can understand guys that primarily rifle, rifle hunt. hunt. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess for me, it's just such a mix. I've, I've well, is had was my... one harder than the other? You shot a you shot a bear with wood shafts and a stone point and a tr- limited ver- the most limited equipment that I can imagine, and and you shot a sheep this last year 
uh, or you're planning to shoot a sheep this year in, in toke with, with a gun that's going to shoot a long ways. And yeah, I mean, I shot and, my sheep last year at 465. Yeah. So, so on a, on a, on a do it yourself backpack, put yourself in the country, be a hundred percent self-sufficient, you know, situation on, on a sheep hunt and, and the bear hunts the same and, and they couldn't be farther apart spectrum wise. And can you say one's harder ones? Are, they're just different. They're right? different. They, and and they to are, be well, be well-rounded. I you think know, just being honestly, hunters, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and no. prepared, <laughs> but like with knowledgeable, like, you yeah. know, I'm at the point where hunting sheep with a rifle, getting a legal ram is a non-issue, and it hasn't been. I mean, the the what 2016, I didn't kill a ram, and I passed three it's, legal ones I had in range. Yeah, I went after this one ram four days in a row, which is the ram I killed last year. Okay. I killed him the next year, and um, and so. Like compared, you know, hunting sheep with a rifle is, it's easier for me. I can go for 10, you know, within like five days of a hunt, usually like I have have a shot opportunity, whereas hunting these grizzly bears on bait with a bow, like the last two have been like almost two, pushing two months Uh, before I get a single even opportunity at a bear I want to kill. And I'm not being super picky. It's like any, any, my theory is like any. Five or any, plus year old, four or five year any old. Any mature bear yeah. that you get a shot at, you better freaking shoot it because yeah. you may not get another opportunity. No, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, <laughs> now hunting cheap with my recurve is going to be a different ballgame. Like that's, yeah, it, that will be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The, you yeah, know, maybe it, it will be a different ball game. But who's to? S- you you just don't know. I've just got to. Do it and try it. And I mean, as of now, that's after, you know, I'm, I'm planning on holding out for a really big one down in Toke. And then, I mean, I'm basically right on the edge of being like, all right, I'm okay if I don't kill one for a few years to try and do it like this. That's a good idea. And all, and all that, all that rifle hunting and all that time in the sheep mountains is going to serve you, you know, very, very well trying to get an arrow in one. And it yeah. could it could happen it could, could happen easy and it could be the quick. first stock or it could be three years. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, and, and like like Troy Graziotti was telling me yeah, he's killed he's, a, killed, he's killed, killed a couple two, with two his recurve. With, and and two he, dolls in twenty years. And he said you know he and yeah, that's, and he said in hindsight, like if he'd known some other things, like there's several other Rams that he probably should have killed, or he learned each and every year. Yeah. He learned, you know, he mentioned yeah. that too, and and it became you know a little bit easier. He learned a little trick here or there or whatever. Yeah, and uh, where was I going with that? But yeah, like it, it just could be one of those things where he. But wait, yeah, this is what I was trying to say. Is he said, you know, with especially you know with a stick bow where you're inside fifty yards. I mean. When I'm shooting really well, 50 yards is where, and like when I take a cheap hunt, I'm going to make sure that's yeah, where I'm have comfortable. The, have the option. But sure. he's like, they also, like, not, it's not just you, but the sheep have to do something to yeah, help you. Yeah, he did you. say that. Yeah. Like, they have to come towards you or, or, or do something to somebody. help you out. Yep. Basically. Yeah. Um, I was talking uh, uh, last week to uh, uh, Frank Noska. Uh, that guy's uh, a killing fool. Uh, he, yeah, you want to you want to talk about it? I, I mean, I just don't know many folks that with a bow and arrow in their hands are more more dangerous to the to the wild game. I don't think there's North a, America. I don't think there's a person Frank, alive but, right now. But that's you know, he he shot he shot his his sheep this last year at thirty yards, 
And, but he said that same thing. He said, you know, I followed that. He, he shot a Fannin, which here in Alaska for people, if people know what, that's, two what, that, what that's all about. Yeah. Two that count as Fannins. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, they're, they're not your every sheep on, on the side of the mountain, uh, kind of sheep. And this was one he looked for for a long time. And he said that he played, uh, cat and, cat mouse. and mouse for, said, for like two, uh, two days with this sheep, but when it finally came down to okay, I think I think things are right. He put himself in a position, but he was at about that fifty-yard mark, and he said, "I knew from watching him that he was likely going to come this way," and he ended up putting himself in the right spot. So the sheep made the final move. He didn't yeah. make the final move. The sheep made the final move, and it came by him at thirty yards without knowing he was there, which allowed Frank to draw his bow. Frank and, is, and a, he got, and yeah. he got it done. He's and, a super, super patient hunter. When, when uh, we went muskox hunting with him, we found a group of muskox. Oh, and, that was miserable. And, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was probably the most miserable three hours that I've ever endured. But we found this muskox, and I dropped him off, and he went down, and there was a pretty big herd there, and they were all kind of, you know, bunched up or whatever. But there was only one in the in the group. You know, a group of fifty muskox. There was probably eight Pope and young bulls, but one of them was a really big bull <laughs> and that's the one he wanted. So of I went, course. I went a ways away and parked my sled and I'm just like, Oh, this will take a few minutes, you know, whatever. And nothing happened, nothing happened. So I start working my way towards him, And finally I'm like, well, I better start belly crawling, you know? And so I was, I was yeah, like you're up 30, the hill. 30 yards kind of yeah. across the hill. You're and up, up from you're him. up the hill, the wind's blowing, it's cold. And so I belly crawl up next to Frank and He's so focused on this one bull that he doesn't even see me crawl up next to him. And I'm right next to him. And uh, he takes his gloves off because the bull kind of made a move to shoot. And the wind blows his gloves, and I grabbed them both. And he looked down, and it looked like the, like the I don't know, God was right there or something. like. <laughs> and he didn't even know I was there. So I grabbed his gloves, and I put them back. And uh, he he had to let down because the, the bull moved or whatever. I'm like, damn it, okay, cool. So I gave him his gloves back, and we sat there for probably another two hours. I would, I would think. We sat there a long time. It was like time. three, three and a half hours, and it was... It was about five degrees blowing 50, 40 or 50. 50 I would think, yeah. on, on the side hill, and the snow just keep coming and blowing and everything. And he sat there and waited for that bull to move. And You're, was, I look over, Nick's doing push-ups. <laughs> I, 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 had, I had to. I was getting cold. And, you know, I, I bet you if today you talked to Frank about that and asked him about that experience, it would be nothing unusual. No, or, no, or absolutely nothing, not. Nothing out of the normal for yeah. him to, that's what it took, and that was the right amount of time in that situation to wait for that animal to he, do the right thing. I mean, thing we're talking a group. I have pictures, and so is Tyler, of, you know, probably 50, 60 muskox in a group, and we're 20 yards, 30 yards away, and they're they're all kind of nervous, but they're not spooky, you know, and uh, he waited for that particular one to give him a shot. And I, the second time he was going to shoot, he lifted up his, his uh, goggles because he figured out the first time that he couldn't shoot with his goggles I remember. <laughs> so I, got lift, all, I got video yeah. of all this. He, so yeah. he lifts his goggles up, and I'm just like, oh, thank God. I need to get up and like, <laughs> run or something. And, uh, and then he shot at that time. But uh-huh. nonetheless, uh, he he definitely he, – he, he makes his own luck, and he's a yeah. he's a deadly man. <laughs> that's, well, that's why he's got you know he's pushing 150 animals in the Pope and Young record book, and that's what. But you know the, uh, you know that he he lets those animals a lot of times. He puts himself in the right position, and he lets those animals seal their own fate because right. he knows if he waits, he's talented enough that if he waits, 
that animal is going to make a mistake, yeah. and and you don't make a mistake in front of Frank Noska. Yeah, it was Mo. it was really <laughs> it was just kind of eye opening to me because I would have shot any of the other ones that were in there. They would have all they easily. All, there's all, a lot of nice bulls. Yeah, they in would there. Have, they would have all been you know 100 inch bulls or you know Pope and Young for sure. And he waited for the one to come out, you know, come, step away from the rest, and then then he killed it. But man, he's he's got the goods. I also got video <laughs> from with the bull you ended up shooting <laughs> that it had we had made a couple different stocks in this herd and they're kind of over on bluffs remember they spooked off but yep. that one old bull turned and and stayed and then he charged and, and he's i'm sitting there and i i had it because it was so bright out i had a uv filter on my camera and i just got the camera so i'm screwing around <laughs> with it and I had the UV filter on, and I'm, like, zooming in, and this bull's, like, staring Frank down, and he starts pawing the snow. And it was Frank's birthday. <laughs> this bull's 25 yards away from me broadside. I haven't filled my tag yet, but it's Frank's birthday, so I'm like, well, we'll let him shoot it. And he tries so, to draw back uh, this as this bull, bull's like, coming at him. But I... I so I see this bull pawing the snow, and I zoom in, just, and it gets all blurry because that UV filter is too dark. Yeah. I'm like, shit, and I like <laughs> unscrew it and get it right back on him right as that bull's taking off, charging him, and he jumps out of the way, and the bull runs by him, and he takes off running after the bull <laughs> to like try and cut him back off, and then the bull like circled back around and like came looking like he was going to charge us, yeah. and you know. I'm like, well, heck. Running at us, and then he he kind of hung around at like 30 yards, and Nick shot him. I'm like, well, if, if Frank's going to shoot him, it, it must be a booner, right? <laughs> so I shoot it, and it scores 99. And uh, like, it's Pope and Young or whatever. It was great. But I, I figured if Frank was going to shoot it, it should have been a good one. Seems like a shooter. <laughs> yeah. now, now he, he did that on purpose, though. He's like, we'll get Nick to shoot this one. Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll sure run him. Did. Yeah, that was just a, yeah. de a decoy move to of get course. it to run by you. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure. Now, that, that was one of those. That was not one of those uh, lucky situations where you drew a coveted tag, no, right? No. That was a registration. I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to yeah. get some guys that are willing to do it with me, and, and we're, we're going to pull this trigger. Yeah. And and you guys went out there and and yeah. fig figured it out. Well, right? that was On my a... second time out there. So I, I'd went the year before, and the the first year was the planning year. And I I tried to get the tag this year, but I could. I was down at Shot Show. Long story short, I didn't get the tag. My dad got it this and year. No. Oh, yeah, no, that, that year, year. The year we went, yeah, or the second year. But my dad got it, so I went out there just to videotape, like, get all this on film. Pretty fun. And it was actually, like, I think I probably got a lot better footage than I would have had if, if I had, had a tag. tag. For sure. Yeah, you got some really good footage. But even, you know, and I was saying this, like, seeing you before, because we're talking about these guys all just... <laughs> On social media, you know, hate not th saying what you're doing is not hunting. It, that, but that you particular know, and, hunt takes a lot of you know lot of work to to figure out. They're, they're just a different animal, but man, you know, the hunting itself is not overly difficult if you're persistent. Just for like a lot of the, I, although for well, a lot of the people that were criticizing it, yeah, it it's more been. than what well, they're doing. Wait, wait a minute, you just described laying in the snow, having to do push-ups well, to stay alive. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. pretty difficult. Well, I mean, and even my dad, my dad's <laughs> bull. Well, your dad, I the my favorite part of the trip was when your dad lost his glove, and I watched him chase it. <laughs> Into the Bering yeah, Sea. Like, we were up on this ridge. I just came back from a stalk. We were glassing some other muskox, and he set his glove down. I'm like, that's oh, not a good idea. And the wind just took that glove and just, you know, started pushing it. And he starts chasing it, and, like, he almost stepped on it a few times. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I watched that glove, like, fly off a cliff into the sea. After 
three, four hundred yards of him chasing it. It was it was comical as hell. It was but, so funny. But <laughs> yeah. the walk of shame back. Yeah. Like, oh, but it was that yeah, that first day his muskox, that was fun, because uh, my you know, my dad still shoots a reeker yeah. and he and my shooting, you know, whether call it ability or or how I've gotten where I am or can be when I'm shooting well is basically due to him doing all the research, like watching. Yeah, your dad's a freaking scientist when it comes to this yeah. shit, that bow, man. He is really good. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> He's really good. And and then I just glean the useful information. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, so he had a 50-pound recurve and like 550 green arrows, and he had those the same broadheads yeah. I set you up with, and there's single bevels, and but. Yeah, that herd, you know, and you can ride up out of sight. You got to stay out of sight, stay but a ways from them and then kind of make a stock on the herd. And there's nowhere to hide, but. What I liked about the that day that your dad shot his bull was that I could tell he was getting like anxious, like maybe it, maybe he wasn't going to be able to get close enough. But I told him over and over and over again, I'm like, you're going to get a shot. Like, yeah. Just but, don't worry about yeah, it. And he shoots it at 10 yards or, or something like 12 that. Or, or 12 or something. But not far. Yeah. I mean, it took it, all day. You know? Yeah. I mean, we had to we just stock we and stock there, and work this herd sure. over and over again, you know, following them, walking, yep. just following them. And. Then eventually those three, it was two bulls and a cow peeled off from the rest of them and came running at us yep. and stopped at like 30 wow. or 40 yards. And, and I'm like, all right, dad, just like calm down, you know, cause he, he was getting oh, excited. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, all right, you know, they know we're here, we're not hiding, <laughs> but their defense, you know, just to, to huddle up. I'm like, let's just slowly work our way in. And we had to get, it was blowing about 40 pretty, on pretty top hard. of this ridge. So we had to get directly downwind so he wouldn't have any wind drift sure. and then work into it was like 12 or 14 yards and then wait for several minutes yep. and it's funny because in the video right when he shoots you're walking behind but you're well, like yeah, I, over 100 yards away i think i was like two or 300 but i was trying to just make sure that they knew the or the you know the muskox knew like i can't go that way you know yeah. like i was just kind of blocking them yeah in, in a sense and you know? uh and anyway, finally that bull turned and he shot him just devastated, like yeah. 50 pound recurve, split just, that near scapula and punched through the other yeah. one. And I mean, the thing just stood there and the sun's right behind me. So I'm just like, can barely see the view. I'm just trying it's, to keep it on film. The video is and, perfect. And he shoots him and I hear blood running onto the snow and I look up over the viewfinder. I'm like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, and then yeah. he just he tipped right over. He too. just tipped over. Yeah, but see, you know, uh, a two minute by looking at a two minute video clip or a still photograph or or reading a caption that says "killed yeah. the, killed this muskox bull at 12 yards." The fact that it's it's so comical to me that somebody who <laughs> hunt something thinks that qualifies yeah. them yeah. To, to classify well, we, that hunt we as didn't, easy we didn't show the two snowmobiles breaking down we didn't show the five or ten stocks prior that well yeah we you just told yeah. me it we took did, all day we didn't, show, yeah. we didn't show frank's bow case flying out of the back of his sled four or five times <laughs> yeah. like yeah. And he, he, this one time <laughs> he's driving up a hill his, his freaking bow case flies out of his uh, back of his sled and i'm following him up behind him I'm like is he gonna turn around <laughs> he didn't so he i didn't grab, know i no, had no idea. So I grabbed. 
grabbed it and I drove up there. I'm like, do you want this? You know, he's laughing. But it, there's lots of lots of things that happen when you when you go hunting that yeah. you, know, you just can't show on video because well, one, the camera ain't running all the time, you know. Well, and on top right. of that, I mean, heck. There, you're going to run into some issues. And think what it took Think what it took <laughs> yeah. to be 12 yards away from that muskox or 14 yeah. yards away yeah. from, the, from that muskox. Like, you know. there, there was, <laughs> like, like a different animal like that, there's some aspects of it that are not hard, yeah. but there's some aspects of it that are really it's hard. really everything uh, uh, with muskox is really like the logistics things and, and then getting to that 12-yard point or 10 or 20 or whatever it may be, where, whereas other animals, <laughs> man... You're 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 dealing with just a totally different can of worms. You're, yeah, you're, it's not even close to the same level of challenge. They're yeah, just different. We'll say you know, and 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 one example like brings to mind like turkey hunting. If I believed what I read and like seen on Facebook and all this, I believe <laughs> like it would take a Superman, Superman yeah. to yeah. kill a turkey. Man, turkeys well, are fun. I, I well, love turkey. Hunting, I'm getting into that. Well, <laughs> la- you know, last May, you know, I had to go down for a, you know, uh, um, outdoor life. We were doing a ATV and UTV test in Michigan. And the guy, the editor that was kind of running the test stayed at his house and big time. He's one of them guys like, because I asked him, I was like, yeah, you ever you know, want to come up and shoot a bear or something? And nope, deer and turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just one of those guys. That's his life. And anyway, so going down, he's like, well, you, you know, get a turkey license and, or hunting license and a turkey tag, whatever it is down there. So I got all that. And, and every morning before the test, we'd go out turkey hunting. And the first two mornings, no gobblers, like no turkeys gobbling on the roost. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. But never in my life have I gone two mornings in a row. But but both mornings, like we end up finding birds, and you know we you know we'd hit one spot and nothing, and you know go tried a couple different spots. But each morning we had a bird like working, but it just didn't work out those first two mornings. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's kind of cool, you know. And then I mean the third morning, what we went out found one bird immediately, and he had hens and wouldn't come. So all right, pack it up go to the next spot and he you know got permission to hunt this spot literally i got the text saying he could hunt this spot like a mile from it pull in walk back there shoot a bird like 15 minutes after we got permission to hunt it and i mean you know when it went back there and i mean if and granted like so i have killed a turkey i have been turkey hunting if i use that as my sole impression i'd be like this is stupid easy Back to muskox, but but that's not always the case. I, I I'm right. sure you know. I uh, back to muskox. You you hunted them in the in the fall in Greenland, right? I did. I did. And in, it was probably a way different hunt than it, you know. In twenty yeah twenty fifteen, I uh, uh, I had decided that I didn't want to endure uh, five degrees and forty mile yeah. an hour winds yeah. and my glove blowing into the Bering Sea, and and that was <laughs> that was before I came uh, moved to Alaska, and so. Um, I looked at a lot of different hunts, and uh, uh, I saw that they had just opened up but the year or two before that. They had opened up bow hunting in Greenland. Yeah, that number one. The right time, yeah. And uh, and number two, um, 
the Super Slam program and GFCO had just recognized both the caribou and the and the uh, sure. and the muskox that come from Greenland. Those are central barren ground caribou. As, then. That's yeah. right. They're central barren ground caribou. Become they they come from the north across the land bridge. Ultimately, uh, is how they got there. So they they classify those and count those towards the the slam. And so I looked and talked to some outfitters, and you they start hunting them there the last week of July and hunt for about six or seven weeks. And and uh, you shot a giant caribou there too. I I remember right? I did I did <laughs> I uh you know I went with the idea I talked after talking to the outfitter he said well look it's not going to be uh I'd like to tell you it'll be a hard hunt but what it'll be is you'll see some beautiful country and you'll kill a muskox and there's not many archery hunts where and and, and not you in know, the fall like that or summer anyhow right right there's not many archery hunts that first of all offer that kind of weather and then um where the where they tell you right up front you're going to kill an animal and I, of course i thought well maybe it's just one of those i hope it's not an over promise under deliver kind Man, of thing yeah. but i flew uh, i flew to iceland and then over to greenland the outfitter met us and uh we saw that the temperatures were from 40 to 60 degrees the hunting was comfortable i saw two to three hundred muskox a day i shot my muskox on the first stock after weeding through bulls and we selected a, a nice bull a, a hundred inch plus bull 100 108 inch bull oh great bull, bull um, crack a bull yeah um there were four hunters in camp we we shot three bulls that scored between 102 and 108 and then the other bull scored like 99 and a half or something Good. and all archery hunting only um and uh everybody killed a bull um on their first attempt we did it we did it one at a time. There was four of us, and we put all our efforts into, okay, this guy's up, and we, f- we, would, we would move until we found a bull. We'd find that bull. The outfitter and him would, would move in on the bull, and the rest of us would post up and watch or help spot, and then ultimately when the bull was harvested, we'd, we'd go in and, and we'd get it out in, in back to the boat in kind of one, one, uh, one maneuver, and then the next guy would be up. And okay. so the first day we killed one in the morning. We took a lunch break. We killed one in the afternoon. We went home, took a supper break back at the camp, um, got those animals taken care of. We went out the next day, and I was up first. I was the third guy, so I was up first that morning. Killed my bull. Uh, it was it was an awesome stock. Yeah, they're and, fun, aren't yeah, they? Oh, it was it's so time. it was so great and such a beautiful one of the most beautiful places. Everyone I, I know that went been. to went to Greenland is uh, they've had a great experience. Yeah, was, I don't know of anybody that that went and has anything. Bad it to it say. was phenomenal. And then that afternoon, the last guy, uh, you know, punched his muskox tag, and then two of us. Uh, that outfitter offered the opportunity to, if you filled your muskox, if you wanted to get a caribou tag, you could get that, and and you could shoot it for no trophy fee. When I went, That's I think pretty, it's five hundred dollars yeah. now, but it's very inconsequential, really, in in the grand scheme of sure. that trip. Um, we saw we, the guys. I didn't fish, but the uh, they caught cod from the boat. They there was fish coming up the stream out of the ocean right in front of camp, and two of the guys had fly rods. They fly fished. We saw. Uh, uh, fox almost every day um, there was small game around and then on the third day I, I, the day after I killed my uh, muskox I I told the guy that had besides the outfitter he had a um, they they have to by law employ number one they you have to give the meat to the native community okay. you can you can keep what you can consume during the hunt but other than that, part of the way they got bow hunting legalized there was to, because it's such a subsistence thing and there was such a concern that it would take away from the subsistence of the natives. Donate the meat. You have to donate the meat and you have to, the outfitters there, like my outfitter, even though he 
lived part-time in Greenland, he was from Copenhagen. Oh, from, wow, yeah, Denmark. From, from Denmark, right, yeah. right. And so um, you had to employ uh, uh, some percentage of your crew had to be native. And so uh, he had both a, a young man from Denmark with him, and then he also had this... Uh, one of the best guides I've ever been ever best men I've ever hunted with in my life. And he was a little, probably 125 pound, five foot one. So like Tyler. Little, yeah, <laughs> little, little, little tiny native guy and, uh, spoke broken English. And he took me out caribou hunting. We all went as a group muskox hunting, but the next day he, the outfitter said, well, I'm going to send you with Canute was his name. I'm going to send you with Canute. And, um, he, his job for his village was, he was a hunter and a fisherman um while i was there he shot a narwhal oh nice oh, and, awesome. haul, and hauled it back to the village yeah um but his job with the, narwhal's got the long yeah, yeah he yeah. shot a juvenile narwhal um, wow. and, but uh he would shoot he would shoot seals and caribou and muskox and whales and and fish and hunt for the village and he and a group of other i mean there were several of them but he was one of them and and that was just his job um to provide and and so um, he said, you're going to be fine with him. Don't worry about it. He'll find the caribou. And I would try to convey to him, uh, again, I was, I was not trophy hunting. I, I said, I'm here. You show me one. I'm right. I said, <laughs> I said, I'm going to shoot the first bull that yeah. we, we get in front of. <laughs> the one you shot. And so <laughs> we, uh, we, we tied up the boat. We tied up the boat and we, we did about a 1500 foot climb to a, to a bench that went back about a thousand yards and then there was a second layer of rocks and he's from the shore i could just see the tips of the mountains back there and he said he pointed at those rocks and said that that's where we're going and we climbed that first shelf and we got on the shelf and we took a break and we just had just set the spotting scope up and up on a big snow slide there was a lone caribou and he was probably a little over a mile away but from a mile away of course this is I was there the first week of August, and, and uh, um, so the bulls were still in velvet. So he's got chocolate. You know, it's like that yeah. one you shot last year, that dark chocolate velvet. And he's standing in a snow slide. And as soon as my spotting scope hit him, I was like, well, that's a bull. <laughs> and and I so I, it took me a little bit to communicate to this guy. But I, I said, Canute, how long will – I looked at the watch, and it was 930 in the morning. We had left pretty early, and then we had that long climb. Um, I said, how long will he stay there? And he said, the bugs, the bugs, he'll, st he'll stay there all day. Yeah, he ain't leaving. And I said, he was about uh, 50 yards down this, probably what turned out to be about a 600-yard snow chute. And he was about 50 yards from the top of it. Uh, and, and right above him was a real rocky spine of a ridge. And I said, see the big rock on top? I said, can we get there? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm going to kill him from right there. <laughs> and we dropped our packs, and he took a rifle. He was carrying an old rusted out uh, 243 with a four power fixed scope on it. Perfect. That that was our backup. The salt rifle. water probably yeah. got yeah. to that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he, we dropped our packs, and uh, uh, I, I had like a, a backpack quiver, you know, more of a day pack kind of kind of thing. And so, but we had a, a bigger pack frame pack too, and uh, I just grabbed what i needed to hunt so we could go fast and uh, we hooked around the mountain and, and long story short about about 60 minutes later really it didn't we covered ground he was a walker that guy um he could out walk me up down didn't matter and about about an hour later 
I peeked around that boulder and at 51 yards, okay. that caribou was standing and he had not physically moved a step. His head was hung low and his ears were just going like they go, just keeping the few flies that were there off him and he just wasn't moving. And I had to sit down and, and, uh, just calm myself and i thought well he didn't move in the last hour he's probably not going to go anywhere in the next 10 minutes so i just sat down behind the rock and didn't look at him at all just sat down and caught my breath and talked to myself a little bit and said you know this is not a big deal he's 51 yards the rangefinder says shoot like he's 43 because of the angle oh, that, oh that's it's, a good yeah yards off. wow yeah it's pretty, pretty steep, pretty steep. Yeah, yeah pretty steep i mean he was up there and he was in sheep country for sure oh wow but it was it was warm yeah, the photo looked like you know you're up well at, he, you'll see, and you'll see the photos deceptive because of what happened afterwards. But so I sit down behind the rock and I tell Canute, he's right here, he's right here. And he goes to look and stand up behind the rock. And I had to grab him. I said, don't look, don't look. He's right there. I promise I'm going to shoot him. And he hands me the gun. And I said, no, no, I'm going to shoot him with the bow. And, and he says, and he points at the gun. I said, no, no, I'm going to shoot him with the bow. And so he takes the gun back and I can see him kind of getting ready. And I said, don't, don't shoot the caribou. Don't, you don't need to back me up. I, it's going to be okay. We're going to, you know, we're going to be okay. And so he just waited and, and, uh, I probably sat there about 10 minutes and then I checked a couple of times around, you know, peeked around the rock and, and, and confirmed my range a number of times and I shoot a single pin sight, so I dialed it to 43 yards and drew the bow out of sight of the rock and then just leaned out from behind the rock. And the caribou had never, just other than his ears, had moved a step. And so um, it, it was a pretty doable shot. Sure. I pra- practiced pretty regular at 60, 70, 80, so 40 is good. And uh, so I, I center punched him and he took off running and canute and initially you know i feel the rifle on my back shoulder and he's <laughs> trying to give me the gun again you know he's running he's running shoot him and i said no he's dead he's dead and he and he ran about 15 yards and he stopped on the edge of that snow slide and he wobbled and he wobbled a little bit <laughs> and he and he flipped straight up backwards all four feet in the air and all i saw was those velvet antlers bouncing down the snow and he slid all 600 yeah. yards and caught up in some rocks at the bottom of the snow slide probably 150 200 yards from a cliff. The, the bench no the, <laughs> oh, the bench, bench the bench that our packs were on oh wow oh, now man. they they were about a quarter mile down the bench but uh, almost a flat walk to where our where Heck our yeah. packs were oh that's awesome and uh yeah we got down there and uh flipped him over and he uh he's a really really exceptional yeah, ag- bull too again in the in the high 390s <laughs> yeah um, and it was the only caribou i saw that day but i and it wouldn't have mattered he could have been in the high 190s yeah you just i would have been thrilled sure. and and it's just how it worked out yeah. and so i you know i'm blessed with things like that I've, I've had plenty of times where i said i'm gonna shoot the first deer i see and it's a hundred inch white tail not a 160 inch white tail but that's okay because yeah. because Man, it's just fun. (laughs) But uh, the the, the most amazing part of that whole experience, two things were really neat. One, the caribou on his his right side, his main beam must have got injured or something. It grew to full size, but it's cocked back and it lays back almost like an elk antler. It sweeps way back and around. It's it's crazy looking. Um, So that made it really unique. Besides its size, it's really a, a unique looking rack, but... We took all these pictures, and then uh, because he's a hunter for the village and and they're so used to salvaging everything, he told me, we're going to take the ribs and we're going to take, you know, most everything. And he, 
I don't know if I can accurately describe this, but we boned out the front shoulders and we put uh, that meat in my pack along with the cape and the head I had. And so now he left the back straps attached to the rib cage. Sure. And he cut the rib cage right at the base of the neck. Um, and he cut off a little bit of the neck meat and put it with the front meat that I had boned out the front quarters. And then he, this is just almost impossible to describe, but he cut the ribs at the front and the ribs at the back with the back straps intact. He made, a, made like a basket out of that, didn't he? Almost like a basket. Yeah. But then um, when, he, when he butchered the back half, he cut the legs off at the knees and he left the hindquarters and the pelvis connected. Yeah, so he had like a... Like and a, so then, a, he, then he put balanced it on a rock. Uh-huh. This is a man that's 100... Uh, he's 130 pounds soaking wet. He balanced it on the rock and he put that V-shaped rear end of that caribou down. And he put his head down and he flopped it up so that it was over his neck, like a wishbone over his neck. So he's got a leg on either side of his shoulders. Yeah. And so he's now got two caribou hindquarters. <laughs> and this this 390 bull, you know, is... Not it's, a small animal. It's bigger than any, the yeah. biggest mule deer I've ever killed for sure. It's, yeah, it's it's a small yeah, cow elk. Caribou it's, are big. It's yeah. big. And so he's got two full hindquarters. And I'm standing there, and it's all I can do to carry these boned out fronts with a little bit of neck meat and a head or a cape and, and horns. And I'm thinking, well, we're going to come back and get those rib cage. And so then he drugged the rib cage. He waddled over and got the rib cage and he drug it up on that same rock. And he put his arms around the, the legs of the hindquarter and bent down and bear hugged that rib cage. Around, so it was around his rib cage and bear hugged it oh, and geez. looked at me and took off walking down the hill. And I had to stop and rest. So he would wait for me. And we walked, Jeez. we walked a mile, we walked a mile down the hill back to the, uh, back to the boat with him carrying the full rib cage, backpack, uh, back straps intact and both hind quarters. Unbelievable. It was, it was the most Jeez. amazing thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And to and, think we, we've doubled up on caribou and we struggle to, well, it's know, like, full, full it's like two that, packs full. Uh, <laughs> it's like reading that Alaska's Wolfman book, you know, the little Frank Glasser stories, yeah. how when he owned the Black Rapids Lodge, he'd. And the, and the river was a lot lower at that point. He talked about being able to wade across the Delta River Okay. at that point because the glacier was so far. Anyway, he'd talk about leaving and, you know, shooting one or two rams and gutting it, tying the whole thing to his pack board and packing it all the way back. And, like, he was not a, a big, big guy, no, you no. know. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, he'd pass away for my time. My uncle remembers seeing him when he was a little kid in that, was it Frontier Sporting Goods or something? Like, okay. he, my uncle remembered seeing him. But, yeah, just a wiry, you know. And that's how this thats <laughs> how this guy was. My, my understanding, I came to learn from the outfitter that, you know, these people eat uh, almost no vegetation. They all, they, they survive almost all on, you know, whale and red meat and, and protein, but protein. And this guy was just, he was a, one of the toughest, toughest people I've ever met. And, uh, he only had about, I don't know, four or five teeth in his head and, and his smile as big as uh, you'd ever <laughs> see anybody smile. Never once in the seven days that I was there, did I see him frown? Did I hear him mutter a bad word? He could butcher, um, 
a muskox probably by himself faster than you know three or four of us after watching it two or three times than four of us could have done together one he could have butchered and had you know another one half hauled to the boat he was just it was just it was just efficient and he knew exactly what he was doing, and, and you could just tell he'd carried a caribou off the hill. <laughs> just like hun- that. Hundreds of times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, like a lot of the, you know, whether it's Alaska natives or just people that do that all the time. Like um, Bill, the fur buyer I skinned for, was telling me he was on this trip down the Yukon last last fall um, doing fur handling classes, basically. And long story short, ended up getting invited to go out on this um, cow moose hunt for a, a potlatch and the whole gist of the story is they shot this cow moose he said they had that thing from hole to in the boat in like less than 30 minutes or 20 minutes i can't remember what it was but it, he's it blew my mind done, they had that thing ripped apart in the boat yeah just yeah. right now whereas yeah. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a ho- i can take them apart but it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's it's not a hobby for them. It's a lot of, of about efficiency, and it's you know for a purpose. And they learn how to get it done, boy. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I probably better better head back to the old homestead. But no, oh, it's been great, guys. Thanks, Nick and Gary for. Or, I mean, yeah. we could sit here sit here and BS for there's, another two hours. <laughs> if we probably easily. more stories to be told. But, uh, <laughs> well, man, I, it was great to meet you and super appreciative of uh, of the chance to be on. It's, uh, it's awesome to have a podcast that represents uh, just a little bit about what Alaska is about and all the yeah. all the cool and great stuff we have up here. Cause there's it's, a bunch yeah. of it. No, and that's, it's I mean, awesome. that's, that's what I want. You know, it's. And, and it's it's awesome getting a unique perspective from people who live up here. You know, whether it's people who've lived up here or moved for or, decades yeah. or or fairly new but have hunted other places. Like it's yeah. it's just a different place, and um, I certainly appreciate your perspective. And like I said, we could be we could be here till eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope uh, I hope there's I know there's going to be many more stories to come, and and uh, they're all going to be an adventure. So, you know. Uh, there'll be more time yeah absolutely well awesome and good luck good luck this weekend on on your on your grizzly hunt and same to you nick yeah same yeah. to you we'll see you on saturday uh, yep. yeah <laughs> I, well i think i think by the end of memorial day there ought to be at least one grizzly bear with an arrow in it somewhere there'll huh? be something I dead i don't know what but well, <laughs> it's gonna my happen. money my money's on nick Nah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Steph. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you uh, have any questions or comments, you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com. Thank you.